We got the one and only Giovanni Penicciati all fezzed up and ready to go. And we are joined by our good friend Alexander Bard back. It's been a long time. It's been too long. So I'm really thankful to have you back with us. And of course, the wonderful, the extravagant Anne Elizabeth Moutet back as well. Thank you so much for coming in. And today we're going to be talking about Europe, the United States, specifically with Europe, what's going on in France with uh, Eric Zamour. I hope I pronounced that correctly. And uh, we're going to be talking about uh, what is going to be in this post uh, Backstreet Boys World Tour paradigm shift that we're heading into. Is it going to be replaced with uh, climate change, carbon credits? I mean, we were talking about uh, what's happening with the uh, with the climate change uh, agenda earlier on before this started. But let us start with Alexander. First, tell us how everything's been throughout the summer and the year general with you. What's been going on? Oh, I just came back from Mountain Tenerife. I'll tell you what Tenerife, it's in the Canary Islands. It's the only part of Europe uh, that still occupied Africa, so it's warm in the winter. Uh, usually I go to places like Bali, but I hate quarantine hotels. I hate nose rapes. I hate fucking mouth diapers. We don't wear them here in Sweden. I think it's all degrading to people what's going on in the world right now. And oh, the fact man. of buying into all this shit and being treated with is just, it's just hilarious. Right? So I, I'm a freedom fighter, at least for myself. So I just spent uh, a month in Tenerife with some friends. I'm working on two books at the moment. I'm writing my sixth and final opus with John Sadekis, Process and Event. We're working on it intensely. We hope to get it done in the next year. And I'm also working with Cattle Last on a book called Absolute Negativity. So I'm, I'm very much a philosopher more than ever. And in between doing philosophy, I party hard. That's me. <laughs> philosophy and events. So are you working on, I guess, the Bajuian, Bajuardian, like theory of event or something different? Oh, we murdered Baju already. So the thing is this. Uh, two of the most important books of the 20th century are called Process and Reality by White. And that's a tautological claim. Process and Reality are the same thing. Mm -hmm. The other one is called Being an Event. And that's another tautological title by Lambertou. We thought it was just, you know, it's great with the and titles, being and nothing or whatever, being, being in time. So, okay, we thought we haven't done the and title in any of our books yet. So what would we do? We would rewrite all of history. <laughs> and we basically claim there are only two stories. There's either the story of the process or there's the story of the event. And the event obviously mm -hmm. breaks the process and history takes off a new direction. So uh, we thought process and event would be like a good title of our sixth and final huge thick book. Where, where it's all the same, the ultimate challenge. Stuff. I have it right here, actually. That's <laughs> Whoa. Amazing. That, that's the, the first trilogy. trilogy yeah. yeah. We wrote a trilogy called the Fitzgerald Trilogy. Uh, and after that, we decided to write a, write a second trilogy. You know, so... Synthesis and Digital Libido and Frost and Event is the second trilogy, the grand narrative trilogy. And the idea is to first write a book about the future, very Hegelian, then write a book about the apocalyptic state we're in right now, which we're going to talk about here today. Mm -hmm. And that's Digital Libido. And then we rewrite history. The Hegelian oh. ways to rewrite history, the last thing you do. So, okay, so you thought you were safe. You thought your axioms would still be relevant. You thought you had a worldview that actually made sense. No. <laughs> Let pull the carpet underneath. And then read out all of history and discover that history is not what you thought. Interesting. So that's what we're doing right now. But we take Amazing. we write small books about very minor marginal. <laughs> <laughs> and we have Mutet. How have you been? Yeah. Mutet <laughs> to the house. No, incidentally, it is Mutet. 
Mute. Yeah, I, how did I not know that? Yeah, the T is not pronounced. You know, the French are sort of ornery. Uh, I've been, I've been, I've been more or less all right. And um, Paris is still, you know, we still have a mask mandate, which is about the most complicated mask mandate that you can find because we, they decided the morning of the 31st of December that everybody should wear masks in the streets. And then they decided to cancel it on the 13th of January. And um, I can't remember whether it was yesterday or today. No, yesterday morning, they decided that there were a number of places all listed where you still had to wear a mask in the street. And by that time, I think they're just making it up as they go along. And, and it's, it's Canada, too. It's an exercise of, you know, covering your ass. Uh, mostly, it's uh, I don't want to be responsible and I don't want to have a class action against me as a politician having decided the wrong thing. So it, it becomes entirely crazy. For instance, you can't get COVID if you go to your office canteen, but you definitely can get it if you go to a cafe because the microbe likes cafes and hates office canteens. We, you know, it's... Uh, it's people. It, what's not good about this is I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm no anti-vaxxer. I've got my three, three jabs. I will get the fourth if necessary, and I'm not against taking precautions. I certainly will not wear, you know, take a train without wearing a mask because that's a, you know, that's a steel tube inside which we're all in sort of close proximity because the train companies are not going to have the same schedules as they use. They just have the same amount of packed sardines in, in fewer tubes. Uh, but the <laughs> dealing with the with the with the, the policies create uh, annoyance, first of all, and then a sort of distrust, which I find dangerous. Uh, I you know you you wish for the time when politicians will say, look we are making this as we go along, or at least they should have done it two years ago, because we don't know yet what this is. So we might make mistakes. And what we promise to do is to try and correct our mistakes and listen to the best people and try and do this in best faith to keep you well, safe and, and in good health and the economy running. And once they say that, I think any normal human being would understand you get it wrong once in a while, especially if it's brand new. Um, instead of which, especially the French, because it's a, the, any admission of weakness in France is something that encourages everybody else to shoot at you. It's like the Roman arena in the Colosseum. You know, guy puts a, a knee in the sand and everybody in the, in the crowd goes like this. I'm trying to find the camera. Uh, but and it's, it's a question of, of ego, of status, and the fact that the others will get to you. The apology doesn't really belong to French culture. It's coming very, very slowly, and it's more a punitive apology, like the world <laughs> than anything else. So uh, all of this not, doesn't make things for politicians easy. But there's also it's also creating a, a massive distrust, and we're going to see the results at the polls. The results at the polls are very weird in France because we've got two extreme right candidates. Uh, some of what they say is sensible and some of what they say is what you expect of an extreme right candidate, but mostly that the part of the system in which the, the, the whole uh, political scene has been atomized, to borrow an expression from Michel Houellebecq, um, it's been transformed in little parts. The French left has now something like six or seven candidates, all of whom cannot manage to pull 20% of voting intentions in the first round. The official candidate of the Socialist Party, Anne Hidalgo, the Paris mayor, who is the candidate of the party of François Mitterrand and François Hollande, polls two and a half percent. That's <laughs> 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 pathetic. I think many reasons. I think 
well-deserved, all the same, it's not a good thing for democracy. Um, it's uh, you, you get to a point where people are just feeling ornery and uh, because they cannot express themselves with the normal political structure, anything can happen. We can have a re rerun of the yellow vests. The yellow vests were very, very nice when you first saw them. These were people who nobody would listen to. They were the French equivalent of flyover country in America. But, you know, they started breaking up things. They started sort of peddling conspiracy theories. They refused to have any chiefs, you know, they were very anarchist in that, with the result that no personalities emerged and, and everybody was having a piece of that movement. The, the destruction that they wrought in Paris have still not been made right, some of them. And this is dangerous. This is not good for society. It's not good for people's morale. It's not good for trust and cohesion. And, and therefore, I'm not, I'm saying this is not, you know, uh, it's horrible to say, but Macron probably will be reelected. He's not a horrible oh. person. Not the person I like, but uh, you know, but it's it's going to be it's nobody's going to be happy with us, and we're going to start uh, uh, the next mandate five years uh, already exasperated. Usually, you vote for a guy, you're delighted for six months, and after that, you know, they, they, you know they, 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 the bloom is off the rose. But that's that's normal for politics. Uh, Ronald Reagan said every political career ends in failure. His didn't, but that was because of term limits. Um, and he was old. But still, we are in a situation which is not good for us, and it's such a situation when the external world is dangerous. I mean, Russia has massed troops at the Ukrainian border. Beast. Uh, I don't know how thank much. God. That, I don't know <laughs> how much. What? what, what? <laughs> I said, thank God. Gio is a you mean uh, little Russia instead of Ukraine. Gio is a big Putin uh, fanboy because he uh, sees because he sees we'll a lot. get back to that later. But yes. let, let, let uh, Marcel yes. Moutier finish here. Yes. Whatever, whatever yes. it is, it is the threat. You unless this is you know Kabuki with with tanks. Uh, it's, there's a real danger of a real war uh, with people who are taking no quarters. I happen to know Ukraine. I've been there several times. I think it's a wonderful country. I don't think everything they're doing is fantastic, but, you know, I've just talked about French politics. Who am I to sort of criticize other things? I'd still take Zelensky over Macron most of the time, um, considering we have stronger institutions. Uh, and... Anyway, things are happening outside France that are not good, and things are happening. You, 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 you discussed. I forget whether it was the beginning of the stream or, or before, but we talked about you know what becomes of the religion of climate change. Uh, yeah. All of this is something that's real, that's happening, uh, and, and we're not equipped to deal with it. We're just sort of sort of squabbling about all sorts of things and feeling very sorry for ourselves, even though we're reasonably well fed probably for some of us too much fed uh and it's not good this is, is true. i'm sorry you know how the french are pessimistic i'm one of those although I think there's, an interesting, there's an interesting overlap here because i completely agree with you Anna elizabeth so i'm another one of those who took the three jabs apparently the fourth won't work so it's going to be three right uh no problem at all so if you took the vaccines first the vast majority of europeans supported vaccination but not mandatory vaccination, which is Stalinism, yeah. right? Then you have the freedom issue. The vast majority of people have discovered that their governments are against the people. They, they're, they're lunatics. They, they don't know what they're doing. The epidemiologists were okay, but as soon as the politicians took into the picture, it became madhouse, right? So now they know they don't want the politicians around. They certainly don't want a Chinese-style police state anywhere in Europe, right? So now you've got a majority of people who are pro-freedom, 
and a majority of people who are pro-vaccination and took the vaccines, okay, like me and my Mosel Mute, I think we are the dangerous people right now because we weren't out there with the anti-vaxxers last fall and, you know, we're refusing to take our shots out. We do, couldn't care less. But right now, if my freedom is not defended, and if I, if I don't keep my freedom for the next foreseeable future, right, if my freedom is taken away from me because of the current madness, right, and I took my three vaccines, I took the three jabs. I'm going to be out on the streets this fall. Europe is set to explode. People are furious precisely because the people, the politicians do not understand that the actual overlap here is pro-freedom, pro-vaccine. But that means if it's pro-freedom first, that means mandatory vaccinations like in Austria and Italy now is going to back. I, 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 I want to ask something because actually I would not mind that mandatory vaccination. Every child in France uh, gets 11 vaccines and that's mandatory, TB, polio, you name it. I would not have a problem with that. I cannot understand why people worry about this. There's a risk in absolutely everything, including drinking Coca-Cola. Why is it a problem not to have to have a mandatory uh, uh, a, a vaccine mandate. Sorry, well, I I'll guess tell you what. Tell you what. Yeah, okay. So I I've taken the jabs. I have friends who refused to. Young people, strong people who just said I had COVID nineteen would take the jabs. Yeah, I already and I, they're my friends, and they're the ones who push me now to go out and demonstrate with them. Not they're not fighting the vaccines any longer. They're fighting for the same thing that I'm fighting for, which is freedom from mandatory uh, procedures. And mandatory to me is just authoritarian, totally authoritarian. Well, and I I, and that means it just opens the door to police that has nothing to do with COVID-19 right now. And I don't want that. No, but my problem is we have we have natural health. And if I look at the mess that's the American system, I'm very happy with my French natural health. Uh, you strain it terribly you put the doctors in danger if you do not have a vaccine and so i don't think my freedom my freedom stops somewhere where uh, i sort of respect no, that, that's, that that maybe the, maybe that was true now, five months ago it's not true any longer the omicron is a cold the omicron doesn't kill death course, rates are falling rapidly just as easily like the people that have the sacrament because i'm trying to we should avoid the v word on youtube um <laughs> Please, uh, they can pass it just as easily, so it doesn't make any sense to exclude a huge portion of the population. Oh, um, a- the denial of natural immunity, um, but the, just I can make a right wing defense of it without appealing to freedom. I think that it's really the consequence of a particular form of biopower that we're going to normal that we're normalizing right now, but also this sort of Girardian scapegoating of people such as myself who haven't had it because I've already had the thing. And I and and uh, I think that it's a, also a denial of how virology was had throughout the centuries when we believed that yes, kids should get colds to build up their immunity, and that it's it's sort of like people outright denying the reality that we've lived with for hundreds of years since mm. uh, you know eighteen. There, uh, there may be a bit of a difference though. There may be a bit of a difference where. If, for example, if you have something like chicken pox from a young age, you're not going to get chicken pox again. But with this, as far as I'm led to believe, not only with the Omicron variant, but in general, people exactly. have been getting various uh, We've never o- had other an things effective, from there. We've never had an effective jab uh, sacrament against this type of corona uh, respiratory ailment, pestilence. And so it doesn't make sense to have a very experimental, not for you know mass swaths of like the human population, 
to have it mandated against people's mm. uh, better judgments. I and think with that's the, and the difference. If it oh. was, and there are, and let me finish mm -hmm. really quickly. That there are options that use traditional technology. One of them is Nova V. I'm not going to say the V word. Um, and there's other ones. There's one being developed in Canada. There's of course the Covaxin one. Uh, but those ones, they've, they've, you know, faced harsh regulations maybe because the people in Pfizer used to work for the World Health Organization. Um, they've faced uh, unprecedented amounts of roadblocks in production, and, and, and it just doesn't make any sense. If they could have waited a few more months to have um, jabs that were similar to, you know, the traditional methods of uh, protein carrying and so forth, that would make sense. But with the certain technology that we have now, mm. I mean, it's the purpose why it was developed was different for this type of ailment. It was for autoimmune disorders and things of that nature. Alexander and, and is shaking his head. Demonizing people that, oh, sorry, sorry, go ahead, Alexander. But the fact no, that they're no, demonizing no, people no, like Robert I think, Malone. I, I, think, I don't think we should go down this. This is a dead end street. Yeah, well, let's, let's not. You know, let's put it this way. I'm speculating. I'm, yeah, it's not about my opinion. <laughs> we have a large minority across Europe that are ready to explode Europe and blow this up right now. We do yeah, have that. Right, okay. <laughs> That's the point. It's not my opinion. It's my opinion right, about right. anything. And another, we have, mm -hmm. for very legitimate reasons, now a large minority, large minority of people who will go out in the streets. We have 20,000 even in small Stockholm next week. We don't even wear the mask diaper. They're furious. And they're fighting for freedom. They're not talking about COVID-19. COVID-19 is essentially over, right? Omicron is a cold. It's over and done with. No, they're saying is that open up society, open it up now. And if you come back with more restrictions right now, that make absolutely no sense and mandatory measures that basically is just the for starting a police state, we're out in the streets. I got I got to get a comment from Anne because Anne, your I'm face from death boomers. Look you're, at that. You're, your face just got very sullen when Alexander was speaking. Would you have a retort? And I do want to move on to things related to this, uh, but so not exactly about this. My man, my man. Yes, but, uh, <laughs> but Anna, uh, let me know uh, what do you think. Where would you disagree with Alexander about it being uh, over, <laughs> as he phrased it? Mm. But yeah, I hope I just explained like, my reasoning for mm -hmm. um, being against. But go ahead, Mute, please. Uh, I... I do not understand why suddenly we've got uh, this reaction. I think it really is significant. It's sort of a simple symptom of something else. Uh, yeah. I don't think anybody of us here and many of the people who are commenting, and I'm looking at the comments with fascination, uh, has... Uh, <laughs> Let me read them, please. I shouldn't. You're their new mommy GF. That's the <laughs> years, 10 years of university studying medicine and 15 years to get a pharmacological degree, uh, doctorate. Uh, and we're not experts, to be honest. So why is it that suddenly, even though we've lived in a society that invented vaccines at the end of the 18th century and has seen demonstrably the use of them, why is it that suddenly everybody's a doctor and, and has an opinion that says, no, this is not good, this is different, this is, work, this is working on the immune system and different things? Do we know? I don't think we do know. We've read it somewhere. Listen, uh, listen. If, if they told me to take three jabs in a year, it's not a vaccine. Yeah. It's not a vaccine. Yeah. This is not a vaccine. Obviously not a vaccine. It's at best a little uh, break. We're not right? done. Let's just from you. Too, it's not a vaccine. It's a lie. The B word is a lie. The B word a, is a lie. It's, it's a, a lie. thing that makes that uh, 
makes it possible for you to get it and not die. And I'll buy that. Yeah, yeah but it's not a vaccine. But, but, okay, but here's the thing. I think if, if they only, this is what Eugippius, my good friend on Twitter said, who writes about this extensively. If they would have just had a saner response and said, listen, if you're older, vulnerable, then yes, maybe take it continually. But to mandate it for like younger people, like, listen, like, look at me, look at my girth. And I lived, I had, I had the original, I had the genocidal. Oh, I can't even say that word on YouTube. I had the, the boomer remover version, the alpha one. <laughs> and hey, me and my 60 year old parents are we, lived. So. Are we seeing the beginning of uh, uh, the COVID snobbery? I got the right vaccine, but the right variant. Your variant is naff. Omicron, you fucking pussy. How dare you? I had the original, the OG, the Chinese lab. <laughs> Omicron, get that shit out of here. That's a studio gangster stuff. <laughs> so now, so now with um, with so now with Omicron, from what I understand, evolutionarily, evolutionary, it's supposed to uh, be less uh, less deadly. Right now, it's supposed to be infectious and less deadly, and that's but the direction. According to the zero c-word people, like Fingal Ding, who's by the way paid up for the Chinese government. Apparently, it's worse now because it's milder. So that's the, the right. narrative shift. All right. Well, hopefully, it's going to keep going in that direction. But the question is this. People who I've spoken to just like this random girl in Manhattan one time, I told her that my concern is not about people complying with these particular regulations as much she as... She's a virologist, by the way. What? No, yeah, she... Uh, it, as much as no, she she studied, I believe, in Japan, like she, or China, or so. Anyway, um, she they talked. Gave you crystals. Yes, exactly, uh, magical <laughs> crystals. She uh, she was uh, she was not able to reply to me when I said, "Don't you think that there are, there are a lot of people here in Manhattan who are going to be so used to just uh, taking orders as far as how they should conduct their lives that it's not going to end when this ends." That next is going to be something else. It's going to be climate change. It's going to be the carbon credits. And that's my question to everybody here. Where do you see, like, if one half of the, or I don't know how many, but if this very heated amount of people is going against this, that's great. But then you also have everybody else who's going to fall in line. And what exactly are they going to be falling in line with? I'll give you a little nasty word here to nudge. Right? Yeah, the the last on. 10 years, environmentalists around the world have spread the word to nuts. Like if it's a tiny little thing you just do, and therefore it's hardly even noticed. If I try to manipulate another human being without telling them, I'm, I'm evil, right? Politicians today are gladly evil. They're, they take pride in nudging people. They're saying that, no, we're just, we're just gonna make this little thing, you won't even notice it, and therefore you behave in the correct way. And that's exactly when sensocracy arrives, when we got sensors everywhere, microphones, cameras, data flows everywhere. That's how exploding China's already practicing it. I'll give you a perfect example of that. You're going to see something very pathetic starting a couple of weeks. It's called the Beijing Winter Olympics. Oh, God. It's going to be hysterical. Think of, a, <laughs> think of a bubble of paranoia, right? Not a single atomic particle is allowed in. Right? And this bubble is where apparently this event is going to take place. This, this is the Chinese mindset, right? The communist Chinese mindset, I thought. In the Thunderdome. Absolutely paranoid. It's dying to a police state. It's dying to lick the ass of Xi Jinping. And you're going to see, to the, the world is going to see this in a few weeks. I am, it's not the sport. I don't care. I love skiing, but I don't care. I want to see the Bay Winter Olympics every minute of it because I want to see the United States of paranoia. 
in front of me. And that is then going to be the model for politicians like Macron. They, they want to have that to nudge us because they've got the climate religion as the perfect excuse to nudge us in every little, little, you know, every little part of our life. Well, didn't Macron they, say they can't, they can't just resist this temptation? They're dying to do it. You know? Well, didn't Macron say that basically, if you don't accept the sacrament, that you're not a real citizen, or that there's sort of a re rebirth, especially in Canada here, there's sort of a rebirth of civic society through extreme biopolitical paranoia that people have in sort of lost. But is Europe different? I wonder not being European, being staunchly in North America is the European political scene in general, especially central Europe. Has it changed whatsoever um, towards maybe like you were saying, Alexander radical politics, but on the ground, when it comes to, uh, what is the election in Paris and in France, by the way? Well, we can go to that. But, uh, just a, yeah, we no, have the same as America, but here it's east-west. So in America, yeah. it's Florida and Texas are sort of freedom fighters. And then New York and San Francisco did comply with anything. Here, <laughs> it, it, it's Eastern Europe because of their history. Mm. And they don't yep. mind that they have more deaths of COVID-19. They don't care. They, they take pride in the fact that they're opposed to yeah, superior based, order. But, but in France and Germany, they've gone completely authoritarian. Oh, oh God, yeah. The election, right? the election is on the you know the free for all, which was the first round, is on the seventh of April, and then two weeks later you've got the second round, which is between number one and number two, and, mm. and that's the real election. And right now we've got probably Macron in almost every configuration. He he is polling currently twenty five percent of voting intentions on a field of fifteen or something, and it's not finished. Uh, and then you've got an atomized left. There's no left left. Uh, and you've got a number of candidates on the right. It's, the question is, who is going to come second? And you've got basically almost the same. You've got Valérie Pécresse, the centre-right candidate, uh, and you've got either Marine Le Pen or Éric Zemmour, and Éric Zemmour is new. He's the, he's, the radio, he's the television commentator and journalist who suddenly became a presidential candidate. Uh, and, and he at one stage was coming second after Macron and that he's he's sort of he's he's sort of been dragged back and he's also been the one that focused absolutely every possible attack against him uh, mostly because he was new he was different and they, he he scared them for five minutes uh, we'll see how that goes because it's early days I remember very well the 1995 campaign uh, which was my introduction to you know what a campaign is like uh, and Jacques Chirac was losing in February and he won the election in May, so you never know. Um, what? We, but we, we were talking about something that has something to do with the election. It's this whole idea of nudge. Nudge is something that really bothers me because um, nudge has become, there's a whole variation of nudge, including literally hitting people over the head. In a sense, what now happens in Britain about heating your house is, you know, uh, you can't use natural gas to heat your house. And so it's it's more, you know, freeze. I don't mind if you freeze to death or I don't mind if you can't pay it or buy food. And that's really the question for millions of Britons, for instance, uh, in a country where houses historically are not very well built and mm. not very well isolated. And yeah. People, and the firewood, too. Is firewood legal or illegal? Uh, it depends entirely. I mean, I'm not I'm not familiar with the details because there are places where it is and there are places where it isn't. Oh, my God. It isn't oh. in Latin, for instance. Um, so you've got all of this. And from nudge and the idea that people thought, oh, I can get away with this nudging, they end up having policies that are absolutely constricting. And and 
some bureaucrat and some politician who feels that this is something that's going to help them in their career, and I'm only slightly too cynical in this, not much, uh, essentially decide that your life is going to be miserable. Uh, I'm not saying, you know, you shouldn't, you know, it's always good to save, it's good to not produce noxious gases, it's good to try and uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, decrease the number of, of, of um, uh, 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 the greenhouse gases, etc. But it's, it's the fact that nobody chooses this in a democratic way anymore, because the minute you try and put it to a, a democratic way, we're going back to yellow vests again, um, you, get, you get a situation in which people are violently angry when you tell people who have a budget where essentially it's it's the uh, it's the six uh, shillings for plus or minus of Mr. McCorber and Dickens, and so either you've got enough money to to sort of pay everything and nothing left over, or you've got just not enough or just enough. There's a big difference in your life, mm. and if they tell you your car is going to to be limited, you have to change your car when it's uh, more than ten years old, or the the emissions are too bad, or simply the speed limit is reduced ten kilometers an hour on on French regional roads. Yeah. All that, that now they have the electric cars that that determine when you start. In when America, you stop. they shoot at the speed sign sometimes. <laughs> what happens is that then people cannot take their kids to do to school in time. There is more traffic jams. There's more. Pro- Everything has got a sort of a butterfly effect that makes people lots of people's lives miserable. But they do not count because they are hicks. They're in the countryside and they don't vote the right way anyway. And that really worries me a great deal because if you don't give them an outlet, a democratic outlet, they will do something that is not democratic at all but with the so this is like a technological moralism to the nudging itself but then what happens is that once the nudging comes into the political system there's something politicians love called taxing taxation right and nudging is just a way to raise taxes so there's no stopping here. They just go, go back right now. Well, the yeah. effect is it's But are, are we are we talking about right? And then finally, people just people just go absolutely furious mm. when they realize they're nudged from everywhere. But are we talking about a decentralized model, like, for example, Moldbug, who I recall the very first stream I had with uh, Alexander Bard, I asked uh, what you thought of Moldbug. It was not great, but uh, Moldbug <laughs> has the... Alexander <laughs> Bard's been vindicated, though, yes. in the Moldbug question. Yeah. So Moldbug's approach is that a lot of these ideologies are decentralized, that there is no top-down. But then if we look at, for example, uh, people from the World Economic Forum, you know, we have Fauci meeting, you know, having that meeting with... Exactly. So those people, how much are they? How much are they just perform uh, just performance artists? And how much do they actually have real, real solid power? How much real solid power do they have as opposed to also being caught up in this uh, in this infection of the mind that a lot of people are caught up in? Well, once all the nudging money flows come into one place, then you're centralized anyway. So you build entire institutions and administrations, bureaucracies that are completely dependent on these incomes. And this is the problem with bureaucracy and administration, is that it only grows and grows and grows until finally there's a war, you blow them up. Until that, bureaucracy only grows. And by the way, it's a French innovation. Okay. So bureaucracy is hell, right? There's way too much of it anywhere you go in the world. And the more you have it, the more it gets. Nudging is just a new way to create more bureaucracy. And again, Mademoiselle Mouet is right, right? What happens is that we finally feel that we're completely, it's like we're we're locked in. Because all all these, the butterfly effect is that we're locked in. And there's a a huge sense of loss of freedom involved in this that politicians completely underrated, which I think is going to build and build and build and finally just explode. 
And then when it explodes, we have no control over it. Hmm. And I, I think I think it's not the COVID-19 pa- pandemic that's really scary. I think people in general are realizing because they did the nudging, they, they discovered that they were irritated with it before. Now the pandemic is just, it's just so obvious now for everybody that we cannot trust politicians at all because all they do is just, just put all these through taxations or everywhere so they can get the resources out of the system. So the, so the question yeah. is, what comes next? And I think this kind of brings us to Putin, where I've said it a million times already on the show. Oh, Putin God, is somebody no, no, who is no. looked at by no. uh, reactionaries on, in the West as being a good example of a great oh. leader. If only we had somebody like Putin coming in here and cl- exactly. cleaning house. Exactly. All right, Alexander. Well, Why is thought. Russia so fucking poor? And if anybody had a million deaths... It's the CIA! It's the CIA, Alexander! It's so fucking badly run. Right? They, yes. There's just a corrupt oligarch and a bunch of oligarchs, and they run it like... It, it, it's worse than Egypt. I can show you Egypt, I invest in. Russia, get your money out of there. They had the oil and the gas. They made a few weapons because America lazy to make weapons that work and finding out they try to farm and sell some fucking weed to the Chinese or something. That country has nothing to export. And if you try to drive your fucking SUV from St. Petersburg to Moscow, there's not a single road to drive on. Russia is dirt poor. And all it has now is an army and a desperate old oligarch who has nowhere to retire. The problem for Putin is that he's got no exit. He's got nowhere to go. And that's why he stays in power. And that's the only reason why he's still there. And all he can do to keep that powerful position and not get shot is to try to go, you know, fight with the Ukrainians again. As far as Ukrainians and the Russians are concerned, it's two different mafias fighting it out. But there's no patience on the side of Putin. I tell you that. And when it comes to Crimea, he got it six years ago, built the bridge, and it's still dirt poor. It's just a matter of time before the Crimea said, we might as well go Ukrainian now. They don't care. Right? Putin, Putin is not heroic. He's just a miserable third world dictator. Nothing else. That's what <laughs> but it is. He's an important bulwark against global homo power. Do you not agree? Against what the total westernization of the world. He is the, okay. he is a bulwark, sir. Oh God, well, we got an island called Gotland, Swedish island in the middle of the Baltic Sea, and we just had an <laughs> argument today about it. Like, do we even need to defend it? No, the Russians have four ships in Kaliningrad. It's a joke. Fucking Estonia has a more modern army than Russia. And that's still, oh. you know, and he's busy in Kazakhstan now. He's busy at the Ukrainian border. This is so many places. Mm. He's got to pull out of some of these places. I, thank you, the Kazakhstanis have finally risen up. Maybe we could have a democracy, you know, in Kazakhstan. Mm. We're an old trade route country. What the fuck's going on here? And and it, it, it blows out Putin, totally surprised by the fact that people in Almaty are going out of the streets. He, he doesn't. He doesn't even have intelligence. He doesn't even know what's going on. He doesn't even use the back. internet. Putin he, has has no... he, he has intelligence. They don't tell him everything. Yes. Well, they, they, tell him they give him things on like pieces of yeah. paper that he reads. I and, was uh... very interested back in the time of the, you know, the last throes of the Chechen war that essentially it was waged by the military completely independent of Moscow. Yeah. Yeah. Which much was, yeah. Well, you see this comment by uh, ABC, Russia is based, that's why Bard is mad. So what a lot of people are afraid of is what that is there are not me? enough based people today. What is and based? <laughs> what is based on what? <laughs> Brzezinski was right. He said, Russia cannot be both a democracy and an empire. It's trying to be an empire and empires are over. Empires are dead. City-states is the future. So what's yeah, going to happen is that Russia will implode. 
Russia will fall example, apart. Qatar strong will go independent and the whole well, thing. Well, this will is I think this goes beyond hey, Russia though. The war Mute is a good example though, because that was at sort of like the beginning of like the new Russian Republic. It was like they had to deal with like for the so long during the Soviet Union, they didn't give a shit about those Muslims. And now all of a sudden they had to go into, you know, in, in to yeah. go there up to the Caucasus. And well, there's so much, there's happened. so much migration going well, on within it was Russia. Brutal. It was like, how many Russian <laughs> troops were fucking needed? Russian literature practically, and Lev knows that practically starts with a Chechen problem. I mean, it's in, mm. it's in, it's mm. in Lermontov, it's in Pushkin, it's everywhere. Uh, it's, 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 it's predates many, many things. And I think it's, it's at the time, it's not even a real problem of Islam. It's, it's the region. And I have, I yeah, have it is the region. Yeah. So, I'll tell you how it works. So this is how it works. You got a river called the Volga, right? Yes. The Volga is Russia. Yeah. Napoli is Ukraine, Volga is Russia. On the middle of the Volga, you got a city called Kazan. If any city in the world has had more construction sites than Dubai and Moscow the last 20 years being Kazan. Why? Because the Tatars who run it called Tatarstan, which is a province within the Russian Republic, yeah. are being bribed to stay in Russia. Mm -hmm. Because if the Tatars go, and they used to run Russia for hundreds of years, but it's yeah. mixed the Mongols and Russians. If the Tatars leave, Russia falls apart. And why they went into Chechnya, which they didn't care about. There's no oil there. There's nothing there to find. Just boring. Like Dagestan, Chechnya, boring. But they had to go in because if they lost Chechnya, the Tatars would leave in a second. And this is this is the real drama in Russia. If the Tatars leave, Putin has so far convinced them to stay. If the Tatars leave, Russia falls apart. And we have a whole continent of new nations, and I don't mind. It's going to be like Africa. That's probably where, you know, the, Russia is going to end up. We're going to regard it as a continent full of tiny little countries and a few cities. And it's going to be messy for a while, but eventually it'll be something that works. Because Russia today does not work. It's poor. Shit poor. Doesn't work. And at but, the same time, you go to those wind showcases that are Petersburg and, and, and Moscow. And not only do you see, you know, things that work and the modern buildings and you name it, but I was uh, two years ago, just before COVID, at a conference in Moscow where we met and we didn't agree with people working in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and, and, and the, uh, uh, the president's office. And they were all, you know, Gimo graduates. Uh, this great university. And I will say one thing, there were French, Germans and, and Britons in that conference. Boy, they were, you know, the Russians were unbelievably impressive. I mean, we disagreed with most of everything, if not everything they said. But <laughs> the intellectual construction was a thing of beauty. So you've got these people who are absolutely brilliant. They've got an education system which compared to the West has now become fantastic by default. And yet, the place cannot be run properly. I know that's the history of Russia over the ages, but it still fascinates me. They've got Nobel Prizes. They've got clever people. They've, they have a taste for art and literature. and that's a Well, there are. They have the best atelier system in terms of painting and draftsmanship in all of Europe, in my opinion. Um, yeah, but yes. they're all leaving. They call it the Lev Polyakon syndrome. They all left. <laughs> they all, yeah, they always go to Britain and they go... Yeah. There are 300,000 Russians in Cyprus. They're popular like hell in Cyprus. They're all Orthodox. They pay taxes. They go out every night the whole year. Cyprus economy is booming. They love their Russians, but they're going to stay in Cyprus. Why would they go back to Russia? Because Cyprus is warmer, nicer, has lower taxes, and works. Hmm. And you don't... And the Russians and the Persians have left. So we got Iran, which is a mess. We got Russia, which is a mess. 
And basically, the Chinese are probably leaving too. At least they're getting out of Hong Kong in droves. I mean, would you, would if you your have, entire population, if all the brains are leaving, it's not going to... Well, here, work, here are right? the only brains that do end up remaining, or rather leaving while working for Russia. I really think there has Wait, been... Wait, did Mute finish your point, though? Oh, yes, Mute. Hmm? Yeah, well, I mean, this is wonderful free-for-all. I practically feel at home in Paris, where we always <laughs> interrupt yeah. But my, no, my, my, my point is, is more, um, and it's a, it's a question, and Yev would probably know more about this. Uh, why is it that at the end of the day, it is impossible to construct something else? Is it a question of sort of tectonic plates of conflicting interests that were inherited from the semi-autocratic system and it can't be moved? And in which case you look at this and you think next to them are problems, are really piddling problems. Uh, but it's also a country that's absolutely admirable. I'm not against Russia at all. I have actually on my mother's side Russian ancestry. And it, you will be amused to know that my grandmother was born in Grozny. So I have a few ideas about <laughs> what, what uh, the, the Caucasus is like. Mm. Um, but um, they were probably Russian colonists. I hear Grozny is actually pretty good nowadays. Do you know what uh, Grozny means, Gio? Grozny like, means uh, angry. 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 <laughs> yes. Ivan Grozny. Yeah. Ivan Grozny, exactly. But with yeah. Grozny, but with Grozny, the reason why it's so rich right now is because Kadyrov keeps getting a lot of uh, finances from Vladimir Putin as this, you know, tit for tat type of deal. His tribe ends up being elevated to the detriment of all the other tribes around that region. And uh, a, a big problem within Russia proper is that you get all these Chechnyans who can go around and do as they please with the Russian women, and they don't get in trouble. And that's the other thing that's that people don't look at when it comes to based. Uh, when it comes to based Based kind Putin, of Putin uh, there is immigration fantasy you got going on. There is the same like immigration in, America in there like as in Sweden. <laughs> no, I'm 100% right, Geo. And you know, in your heart, in your heart, from enemies of Putin in the media outside in the rest of Western Europe. That Gio, is no, 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 Geo, you're wrong. The best thing you could be in Russia is to be Tatar or Chechen because you get away well, with everything. You yes, get away exactly. with everything. Absolutely everything. They run the fucking entertainment. System. Well, another Dude, another hero. Well, did, uh, to, didn't they not conquer the Rus at one point? Yes, step peoples, right? Yeah. yeah, they had it for hundreds of years. Oh, by you the know, way, another they left the mark. Which is kind the of interesting how like Western right wingers that worship Putin, how they don't like have the same deference for Tartars or Chechnyans. They, they like I guess that they're Muslims. What would you say, Muta? All those French politicians, I mean, they get paid. François Fillon, the former prime minister, is now on the board of some oil company mm. in Moscow. And that's how he's being paid, well, uh, which I think is pretty outrageous. I, I want to kind of get into that aspect of it, too. This is something that I was alluding to earlier and on earlier streams, mind you. So there is this uh, idea I've been formulating that Russia spends a lot of money on not so much the improvement of Russia, but propaganda that goes outside of Russia into the West for the sake of demoralizing the West. And you get very smart, uh, lovely uh, people like these two very popular girls. You know who I'm talking oh, about, Gio? They Please were on don't. Tim Dillon's show. I'm sure they're going to be on Joe Rogan's show soon enough. And they throw Which certain... I do not endorse this message. Okay. I couldn't hear what it was. I haven't Yes, so their, their show uh, starts with the letter R and ends with the letter E. Um, and they both have Russian names. Uh, Alexander, I think you know who I'm alluding to here. They're very lovely girls. They're very intelligent, but I see what they're up to. 
and this saddens me because they actually are oh. very smart and the fact that they are throwing out certain things like talking about how Ukraine which has like a uh, uh, pretty much a Jewish government as far as the majority of the people who are running Ukraine oh. uh, they talk about Ukraine being uh, you know ha having a Nazi government having a white nationalist government and like all of this stuff being thrown in there like little breadcrumbs for the sake of ma making people very confused about reality and yes. it sucks because they're very popular they're they have a huge patreon they're very talented but this is why i don't want to have them on because they're working I'll for tell the you russian what, government I mean, if the if the west is not educated enough to stand a russian propaganda campaign putin deserves to win right Yes. If we're that bad, if we, if, if we cannot separate fact from fiction any better than that, they were so fucking horrible in Western Europe and America, we deserve to lose anyway. We're not <laughs> a civilization any longer. I think it's a great shit test. It's a great shit test. Alexander, it's always 10%, and I'm very optimistic here, of the people who work on this and trying to fight back, and 90% who are just sort of, you know, swallowing the stuff. And it's been there in all eternity. So it's difficult to condemn the West because we're, we're seeing the general sample, but uh, there's enough good people fighting back. Uh, I, I'm not familiar with the, with, the, uh, with the show, but I am familiar with RT. I've actually appeared on RT. Uh, and, and they just like explaining how horrible the West is and how things do not work. Work, and most of the time, you just have to sort of bend and, and pick something on the on the road, and it's there to explain things that don't work in the West. And it completely changes the proportion. I always loved before RT was Soviet television. Soviet television in Paris would always go in winter to a shop in Rue du Cherche-Midi called Poilade, and every summer they would go to another shop in the East Saint-Louis called Bertillon. And Poilade is a bakery, and there would be long queues in front of Poilade because they made the best bread in Paris, you know, mm. and it was couture bread, so to speak. But they came with a television team and they would film the bread queue. You know, they have red queues in the, in the, in the West. And Bertillon <laughs> is where they sell extremely good ices and same thing in the fluid cues in the in the in the west and um, we, we laughed at that at the time but it was something to keep the peons happy on the on the on, on the on the other side of the iron curtain um, that was like that one uh, news presenter was it russian like uh, he was throwing out every anti-polish uh you saw that one love the polish one that was hilarious mm. but, i don't uh, no, i don't recall Lev, listen you gotta stop with this schizo uh, nonsense no, I'll, I'll tell you who they red are i mean why girls. not yeah red scare that allegedly that's who i was talking about anna and dasha allegedly is the magic out. word i could say allegedly oh. and then i could say whatever i want because i'm saying well, the word if allegedly. Anna K destroys you on twitter then i i Blah blah blah, blah, blah. She she doesn't dare because it's going to expose what is uh, actually going on. Oh you know, my God, them that, them being uh, close friends of Putin's propaganda minister, the guy who heads up uh, the Russian Esquire magazine. All right, I know what's going on. Oh God. Did I you hear the name Edward Snowden somewhere here? <laughs> oh, that changed everything, didn't it? Right. <laughs> oh. You well, know, I, the closest we've had to Messiah in the West is a guy who's a refugee in Russia today. That's incredibly embarrassing. Oh. Who are the people who follow this 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 um this stream? Because I'm just reading again. I'm reading the comments. I'm fascinated by this. Oh no! Oh yeah. Well, I, I mentioned that. 
<laughs> well, here's how I will explain it. Break the yes. rules. <laughs> the people no the people who go on break the rules who are the most active and the loudest, they're not going to be the loud leftists because loud leftists don't watch the show. They're not going to be the centrists who watch the show because centrists know how to behave themselves and they're yeah, not going right, to yeah. uh, be very active in the comments section. So they are going Except to be... Except when it's slandering fellow journalists such as uh, what your, your blah, girl blah, blah, Barry did recently. I don't know um, what you're talking about. But anyway... Using Pedro Gonzalez of being an anti-Semite, but that's uh, another humor there. I wanted to read a passage from the Futurica trilogy. This is from the last book, if I recall. Um, but this, I think, goes into the discussion about what you were mentioning, Mute, about the alternatives and what they would look like. And of course, I want to get into some more. Um, the explanation is that when the intellectual status of the ego is weakened, the response is not a singular and clear, but instead dramatically bifurcated. In part, we acquire a new netocratic elite who accepts, recognizes, and adapts itself to the territorial gains of modern psychology. They are turning their backs on classic metaphysics in both its religion and humanist forms and are instead constructing a new metaphysics which takes its lead from monistic ultra-materialism of our age and using the metaphor of the network, the network to describe and give meaning to the new style of existence which is emerging. The problem is that not everyone either wants to or can accept the new information and live in harmony with this new worldview. So we are gaining a new underclass and network society, which in its panic at the territorial gains made by modern psychology is clinging ever harder to superstitions, explanations, mo uh, models provided by the mantle of old religion and quasi-religions, proclaiming ever more vehemently the central role of the soul, the ego, free will in our lives. I think that political ideologies and sort of um, various re-enchantments on the left and right could also describe this. I mean, the problem, I think, and I, I wouldn't describe this to, to Bard or his partner, Sunderkist, I is that this sort of like tech determinist, like totalist view of like, you know, global American technocratic society is going to like consume the world and like digital uh, simulacra neoliberalism that Mark Zuckerberg is going to go around and sink the metaverse mm. into every single cre crevice of the world. I think that what's interesting. No, is no, 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 no. You jumped. You jumped. Wait, the autocracy hasn't happened yet. Facebook and Google are dead. They're doomed. That's not the thing. The two capitalists still. We're not oh, there yet. Mean, aren't they ascendant? Not there yet. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. Mm. We just see. We just see the pattern. So I can teach a 90-year-old today the class difference what we're moving towards. I can just say you can either have an algorithm that gives you everything you ever wanted, and you basically just replicate your historical self. Or we can throw in every 10th time or so, we can throw in an antagony into it. We can throw in something that you didn't expect at all, you're comfortable with. And the mm -hmm. kids get it right away. And if you can take on the antagony, you will grow and expand and get smarter. So you have kids now who study hard, like every day they study hard. You have kids who do nothing but play games. We already have the class difference when they're 19 years old. And by the time they're 22, it's so definite, there's no return. That's I think column arch is more important than ever. We're going to see enormous class divisions. And my prediction is we're moving towards a global India. We're going to be like India, and we have oh caste God. systems. Very soon. Are, you, are you aware of the book by this woman called Batty? I like it. I'm just saying we're going there. We're going there. Uh, are you aware of the book by this woman called Batia Ongar Sargon? And she explains that the upper classes in America are currently weaponizing wokeism as something to uh, uh, negate the existence of a class conflict and essentially it's upper middle class people imposing their rules to the lower classes who are absolutely we class. threw class we threw class out in 1985 yes it was Lacroix and the Wolf who did it inspired by Herbert Marcuse 
the entire woke thing is just let's get class out of the way and let's discuss gender, right? Like if women and men don't marry each other and move into the same classes. So Marx was thrown out. We have no Marxists left anywhere in the West any longer, not at all. We only have a Rousseauian middle class left full of academic middle class people who hate working class people. That's precisely where the working class has nowhere else to go. And I think the next turn is to have a right Marxism. So it's a Marxist right, which is the only way forward. System of analysis. Yes. As a, not not political predictions uh, or, or prescriptions, but as a system of analysis. It's very exactly. useful. Every system, it should not be the only system, but it is an incredibly useful system. Yeah. yeah and everything else is a lie. Everything else, it's, it's like Mark said, if you cannot talk class, then everything else is just nonsense. Because you're basically avoiding that one thing that you it, it hurt so much to tackle. So what is the upper crust of these uh, of, of this cast going to be uh, busying with? What are they going to be reading and how are they going to be making their mark on the earth? We are serving them the police state right now. So what's going to happen is the Sasakis will go to a small elite. They lock themselves up in gated communities. They, they make sure they live in bunkers safe from botanic worker. And like New Zealand, they will live in those places and they'll basically control the world through cameras or microphones and not just whatever you want to do. They don't do that. It's the old system that actually creates the police and basically hands it over to people who are much more savvy than they are. That's going to happen. It's not going to be Google and Facebook. They're done. Facebook is definitely over. It's dead. Google are making terrible mistakes. They made Google search so horrible in the last five, six years, made yeah. advertising now the forefront of it. We know that we hate advertising. Remind, I remind you, I said that. The abolition of advertising in one day is seen as a much greater victim than the abolition of slavery. Advertising is the dirtiest, shittiest, most evil we ever created. We hate it like mad. It's called spam. Also, anybody who still uses spam today or still uses advertising is dead and over. It's the end of capitalism. Attentionism kills advertising. And then we move into a radically honest realm where the algorithm comes back to the blockchain. And that's not going to be Google. And when the algorithm and blockchain become two sides of the same coin, it's going to be the fiercest fucking instrument towards truth we've ever seen. Just like capitalism killed bullshit everywhere, that's what it worked. You had people bragging in every street around the world about whatever they were selling. And once capitalism around you just woke up to the bragger and say, okay, but what's the price? And suddenly you had to be honest, hmm. right? The same thing now with attentionism. What's happening is digital has only started to move. When digital finally arrives, it has all the data points about every, absolutely everything in the world. As the software arrives and it replaces everything else we've ever known, it's going to roll in over the world and it's going to force us all to be honest. And totally honest and brutally honest because everything we do from then on will be locked into history forever and can never be changed. But what, but what about how people are talking now, this sort of like, Early 2000s, second life, uh, tech optimist retrogradism with the metaverse. How, for example, you have uh, David Chalmers saying that, well, you know, all the meaning, all human meaning can be found within the virtual and it's going to be totally oh, fine and God. cool. Does he have a sex life to begin with? No. Elon Musk will never go to Mars. His sex life is too terrible. If he goes to Mars, nobody's going to go to Mars. AI is going to go to Mars and take bacteria with it. We're not fit for outer space, period. We go mad, we got outer space. You're not going to go there anyway. And if somebody would go to Mars, they'd be on Instagram and the next day be over and done with If Richard Branson is going to go, who the hell wants to go there? It's dead and over. It's unfold. It's just, that's not going to happen. Not going to happen at all. We are still very, very human-bodied people, right? We're embodied. 
whoever has the best sex life is the winner, to, to, according to anybody you ever judge, if you're honest about it. So well, he mentioned pregnant Grimes once. Freud and Marx, after Freud and Marx, and they make a proper analysis and everything else is bullshit. And these guys who make predictions, they were wrong 10 years ago, they were wrong 10 years ago, they're still wrong. You, you, know, you know, of course, where, where the metaverse comes from, the snow crash. Yeah. 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 And, and very interestingly, snow crash, 92, before the internet, uh, tells of an immigrant crisis with those boats coming from East Asia, uh, so, you know, all off the coast of California. So possibly the fact that it's now being picked up by Zuckerberg, uh, who may be a horrible person, but has got a nose for what happens next, uh, is... is um, um, is a sign that he wants to find the same solutions if they are solutions. Hmm. He's too late to the game. His company's too big. He's got too many bureaucrats already. If he's employed 80,000 people, 79,000 of those are just fucking diversity officers and shit. Surely they're so not going to build the meta. The meta's going to no, be built no, by the man. next generation. This is good news. It's just games anyway. It's just mm. gaming. It's, it's not going to change. Oh, the we world. already have a VR chat. Uh, if you guys heard of VR chat, that's been around for for a while now. Well, it's I, the same thing as me, uh, the metaverse, supposedly. But as far as people living in the pods and eating the bugs, as the narrative goes, Alexander, you were <laughs> mentioning that you think that this is something that the upper crust is going to be in as well, if we're talking about these bunkers in New Zealand. But I imagine that this would have been something that more of like the lower class people because they don't have a fun life, they would be strapped into these VR headsets all day, and that would be the rest of their life, like with uh, the metaverse and NFTs. They'll be sedated, they'll be sedated so they don't cause problems to the superior classes. That's what you always do. Okay, we got masses out there. Can we use them as slaves? No, that's too costly. Okay, sedate them. Preferably kill them, get rid of them. Right. <laughs> well, have you been seeing the I, I uh, the, the train song. robberies? Oh, one second. I know this is geo harassment, but I want to ask about the train robberies. <laughs> oh, the train robberies! Oh, the train robberies! <laughs> Going back to the Wild West, it seems. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, the I mean, eight people. <laughs> The girl is in the one. No, I can't. But, but, That's too no, much. No, 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 no. But when it comes to, but when it comes to these train robberies, an alternative way of doing this would have just been. God, they live in Europe. Explain to them the train robberies. Okay, so there are these trains that are robbed. That's the explanation. <laughs> I don't no, know no, what to tell you. Okay, trains built the back of North America, right? Yes. So there are these sections before the train stockyards in Detroit and places like that. You know where I'm getting with this where there's basically a whole sea of people of a lower class and let's call them uh POs by POC status who who go go like uh hoboing but not like actual hoboing go on the trains loot them throw everything off and carry them away like termites basically and in America it's a huge problem with an already taxed um supply chain logistics situation now you have to deal with whole-scale robbery in these train yards of consumer goods mostly yes. um yeah so and here what, i'm gonna show you i'm gonna show you a picture regarding yes. the uh, train robberies so this is one yes, yes uh, this is oh, the uh, uh the recent one over here but oh, um, but my question is one this way is Ameri this is americana right <laughs> there was the, there was this comparison meme where they had americana. this picture when they had this picture and then they had a picture of some chinese uh, bullet train next to each other you know that train is very clean and this one's very dirty no, and you know from us 
They what? It's the TGV. It's the French TGV train. We built one in China, and then they started building clones. Yeah, they're all... I mean, that part of it, be that as it may, the idea that they were going with that meme is something is culturally wrong with the United States. People can blame it on various characteristics, whatever. I personally blame it on there being a lack of a cohesive culture that I believe anybody, regardless of wherever they would have originally come from, can uh, be a part of. It doesn't mean that everybody in the world will be a part of it. It will be limited to whoever meet rises up to the challenge. But right now, this is the complete opposite in America. Nobody's even thinking of challenging people to have a better family, to have a better society, so that this yeah, doesn't well, occur. So it just sucks like, that what, the, the approach. The approach. No, well, the, the approach right now is basically to just put everybody in the pod, have them pod, have them eat the bugs, you know, through a hose or whatever, sedate them, as opposed to actually having good families that could take care of each other. That would be more of the idea of creating heaven on earth. This, what you said, Alexander, is more of the idea of creating hell. Is there any way that we could start, at least in smaller pockets, working on society? Or well, maybe that's doing? the drug trade to start with. It's the biggest industry in America. It's completely illegal. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yep. We're People already starting that. How hard is that? The war on drugs is the third world war. It's torn Latin America apart, killed millions of people. Well-known people, well-known politicians finally been held accountable for the war on drugs being the third world war. That's what it is. It's torn Africa apart too. It's about to stop. It's torn half America apart. And almost every problem looking in America today is down to the war on drugs. Hundreds of thousands of people die every year. Now fentanyl is in the system. The Chinese are avenging the opium wars by throwing fentanyl into America, and America's falling apart because Americans are fucking kick-seeking addicts and nothing else. That's why they die from COVID-19 because they're obese, right? So if you know that already, let's turn that around. What do you do? You legalize the fucking drug trade, and you must do it quickly. And then you can tax it. You can even nudge people into taking the right drugs. At least if they can do that. Hmm, interesting. That could that well, could possibly ask, work, but it's not. I don't think that's the only thing. Offer, uh, which you know, I'm not going to take sides on. But if you take um, uh, Viktor Orban in Hungary, Viktor Orban is nudging with sort of tax rebates uh, or tax exemptions uh, people to get married and have children, and yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, he's encouraging family cohesion. And uh, that's done in a country where, contrary to what the West says, there's not a single political prisoner. And if he loses the next elections in April, it will be the first time he he runs. Uh, he will just walk away. It's you know, it's not the it's not the uh, the horrible place that people talk about. But the, well, I would say that if anything comes out of that, it comes from the countries between uh, between Germany and and the Russian border. But do you well, think that France, like usually when things happen in France politically and culturally, then that's sort of like the jump off. Even late into the nineteenth century, you had the the center of art and the center of intellectual life was basically in Paris. Do you still think that there's a hope with Zamor and other candidates that there's going to be maybe what, and, and Bard, you've talked about this as well, this sort of like newer possibilities of political factioning that is different or radically different from what we see nowadays. Or do you think that's just like a pipe dream of like largely like North American right-wing people who are like, Oh, Zamor is based because he says edgy racism. Or do you think that, there's an actual hope for an alternative to like globalist um, neoliberal Macronism and not that will spread throughout Europe. 
Not this time. And my, my personal belief, I'm very, I'm very serious about this, is that the Visegrad countries, the countries of Central Europe, might show us the way in a way that's feasible and acceptable by populations. Otherwise, it's no use. Uh, but it's not happening this time. First of all, because Zemmour uh, has been, he's made interesting inroads, but right now he's losing, he's losing strength. Uh, he's become divisive. You can argue, and I, I know him because I used to be on his program before last. I was invited Ooh. from time to time at his political program. He was a left-wing guy. He was a right-wing guy, and there was a left-wing guy. And it was a perfectly sort of kosher, whatever, acceptable, mainstream cable news talk show. It was sort of quiet talk show. Every politician of every stripe came to that. And uh, uh, he would, you know, he was he started off being for, for 25 years an extremely competent political journalist. He was not especially, he was not left-wing, but he was not especially right-wing. He started writing his own saga by publishing those books, some of which are just collections of his, his columns, and uh, also seeing that nobody wanted to say things anymore because you get, you get sued whenever you do it, which is just what's happening to him now. But I don't think he's a professional politician. I think what he's achieved right now is fascinating for two reasons. One is that even if he finishes at 15%, considering that everybody else will be behind him. Uh, that's very impressive. Uh, second, um, he has moved the Overton window definitely to the right in an interesting way. And third, we'll see you know, what happens with Marine Le Pen. If she's not finished, she wasn't finished last time. If she is in the second round, she will not win because she's, I mean, she is somebody who essentially even though she might be in the second round, she has the half-life of isotopes. The French have looked at her three times, and they don't believe that she can run the country. And that's the end of it. So the next election is 2027, and we're going to see what we produce. But we're not producing lots of really sort of active intellectuals either in France, and that's another problem. That's How about Pécresse, though? How about Pécresse? You haven't mentioned her yet. Oh, God. Well, <laughs> she is... She is presenting herself as the solution, but she's essentially sort of, she comes from the same breed as the people who created the problem. She's a technocrat. She came from uh, uh, Inna, uh, the French elite school that creates, you know, top mandarins in the civil service. She is somebody who used to be wishy-washy, except that now he's, she's very radical in her in her speech, because she feels that the election has got to be won on the right. There was this so-called right-wing primary. I call it so-called because in America, you've got 50 primaries, and therefore you can test your candidates for quite some time, eight months. Yeah. In France, you have basically a one-shot. It's like electing the leader of the of the Labour Party in, in Britain. And you can you can you can have you can sell cut price party cards and influence the vote. But she was not that person before, and I know lots of people on the right who are not extreme right and who say she will not do what she says right now. She says, I'm Mrs. Law and Order, and she's not. So she's going to be a sort of a mixture of Macron and Chirac. Uh, I don't trust her in foreign policy. I don't trust her much in, in, in economics because at the end of the day, she's like those French technocrats who want to micromanage everything. So if she's elected, it's going to be a different crowd, and the Macron people are so incredibly are uh, tin-eared and sort of closed in their bubble. And the bubble is very narrow. They're 35-year-old white guys. Uh, I'm not sort of uh, militantly against white guys, but you need to have other people just to make you think differently. They all come from the same, not just the same, same universities. They come from the same secondary schools. Uh, and I mean, they are... 
and they are an echo chamber and they despise the rest of the world, she's going to be slightly better because at the end of the day, she's inherited the inheriting the remnants of what used to be the Gaullist party. And the Gaullist party was very interesting. It was a cross-class party because after the Second World War, France was not divided so much between left and right. It became afterwards, but it was also divided between the people who collaborated and the people who didn't. And that was about the same number. You know, in the middle, you had people who just waited it out. And I'm not calling them collaborators, but you had two views of what happened. And it was fascinating because it was cross-party everywhere. So uh, it's a, so the Gaullist party was the authentic populist party of the 1950s and 60s. And then it sort of evolved of being more conservative. The personality of de Gaulle was like that. And the, the left historically had not been destroyed and with a result that you, you, you got a panorama that started looking like the panorama in, say, Italy or Germany. But it was a fascinating thing. She has a muscular memory. Her party has a muscular memory of those days. I'm not sure they think that way, but they have this muscular memory. So will they sort of evolve so that they can, they can grab some of this? Uh, most of them are woefully uncultured, but it's better than the Macron people who actually think they have culture. And they are essentially, they've got a, a veneer of hard shell technocracy uh, right. at their fingertips, and the rest is, is cliff notes. So we'll see. <laughs> well, you, you know like, what? I'm going, to be, I'm going to be in Paris in two weeks' time. I'm going to be at, at, at the Hippodrome de Vincennes. I'm going to be there for the Prix d'Amérique, which is the world's biggest horse race. And apparently 5,000 mm. people are going to be there. So we'll see where the Omicron state is. Yeah, that mm. is trot, right? It's trotting. Yes. yes. I, I, breed, I breed trotting horses in Normandy. Wow. Oh, I do by the way, oh. you by the way breed horses. trotting is, yes. I mean, it's, it's the popular side of horse racing. It's yeah, that's why I love it. This is Call me up. Take me there. Take me to the race. Yes, I will. I will. I will. Yes. Well, of course I will. By the way, speaking of uh, Macron, this is a picture that I posted earlier. I don't know if you can see it over here in the uh, chat, but this was yes. the uh, redecoration that Macron did to uh, one of the rooms in the French palace over there. Do you see yes. what he did over here? He added the blue carpet and the uh, white couch and that uh, oh, you ruined drawing it. over there. So, oh. uh, Al Alexander, well, any thoughts? It's all right. Like, the, the mural is all right, but that's sort of like yeah, exactly. you know, primitivism. It's like art brut. It's not... <laughs> It's well, like it does... a boutique hotel in 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 Riga. It's horrible. <laughs> but uh... there's nothing wrong about boutique hotels in Riga. They're the best. <laughs> but I this was. But I think this. Like, they are geared to the lesser oligarch. Mm. Well, did, you mentioned uh, every like every French politician, especially of the Macronites, um, going to the same university. It seems that like uh, when I think of. For example, the intellectual output of France has been lagging. Do you think that the Collège de France no longer has, for example, this air of continental theory and and this is where all of the great intellectuals went? Like that was even better than going to Oxford or I guess nowadays Berkeley in America. Collège de France is, like, Collège de France is not a university and it's a place where you've got professors who are invited to, to give courses there and they're open to the public. It is a wonderful institution. I have not set foot there in 20 years, which is my fault. Mm. And I have no idea whether the work grabbed them, but unfortunately, the French, having said we're French, we're not stupid like the Anglo-Saxons, we're not going to go woke. You know, what this means, all this, all this 
sort of you know fluff. It means five years. So essentially, we're five years behind, but we have all the workistas and we have all the mistakes and we have all the nonsense about uh, 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 you know owning your your guilt and and complete nonsense and sort of rewriting history because history is hurting my feelings. Uh, I cannot express the amount of anger I feel against these people, but because they are destroying an education system, uh, and all we can hope for is that, you know, there are normal people in corners, you know, tiny corners in the underground, and they keep writing decent books, and they keep listening to good things, and they keep reading yeah. decent books. It's not illegal yet. That's all I can yes. say. It will come back, I hope. But then and here's what I don't... America- literary departments they're the ones that are producing Mm. like up until recently but i don't know what it's like in in alexander's part of the woods if theory has sort of reached uh its twilight the the way it has in france and britain but it's just to me i mean i think maybe it's partially because of the digital thing now that everyone it seems every theory cell wants to work around silicon valley nobody cares about universities anywhere any longer whatever comes out of university is not interesting everything's online I mean, mm. I have so many smart young people now who have the, they, they, they got the skill to teach really well, like and often to think properly. Well, like. So uh, I just introduced them to EdTech, and mm. I said EdTech is going to kill the university. The university is going to be dead. It's going to be it's going to move very fast because EdTech company is essentially just a place where you go to take a test to prove that you know something. Right? You have to do that in your graphical way. That's in the physical space. That's the only physical space you need. Everything else can be online, and then you can have the world's best lectures on all the different topics you like, and then basically learn anything. That's better than anything Oxford, Harvard, or Sorbonne could ever offer. Well, if that's already online, then then the rest is just a matter of time. Nobody cares about university producing. They're old institutions for the mediocre people producing big bullshit that nobody cares about. And, and yes. I completely disagree, even though I'm, I'm angry at the state of universities today. I disagree on this because... It's, I mean, I, Lord knows I spend too much time on the internet and I even reading books on the internet. But at one stage, you need somebody who's got a sort of perspective from a higher point because of just experience. And they can uh, sort of canalize what you're seeing and, and grade it so that you're not sort of plucking from everywhere and thinking this is equal because things are not equal. Uh, uh, the quality of research is not equal. Uh, the uh, the relevance is not equal. Uh, the context is not always given in the right way. And uh, this is what, ideally, in a good world, you would have university for. And there are still places like that who do it. And teachers on their own who are good people and do that. So, no, I think, you know, it's wonderful to get all this information ra- around us. But it, it, it doesn't mean that universities are dead, although lots of people are trying to kill them with a, with a new ideology. People, we have come to uh, uh, 15 minutes after the time that, that was supposed oh. to finish. Oh, I had I'm preparing another book. And, <laughs> and Elizabeth, thank you but so let's much. Let's do this again soon. Yes. I love you guys. Yeah, I, I love this is oh. the, this poor Zoom is magic. It's just magic. Absolutely, it is. I, I would love for you to come back. Young Chilhan, but I guess we don't have time. Well, and also uh, super chats because we did have a few super chats oh, for yes. Miss uh, Mutet as well. By the way, follow Anne at twitter.com/slash Mutet M O U T E T for all the audio listeners. So Some... here. Yeah, so here, let me uh, read over here the uh, stream, the uh, stream labs uh, recents over here. So let me see. And by the way, everybody who's watching this, please subscribe right now. Subscribe. So anyway, over here, uh, uh, ABC five dollars. Is it Mrs. or Miss? Moi, Miss. 
Miss. Okay, there we go. Oh, ne- it's the ABC got a chance now. <laughs> uh, next, okay, next over here uh, from Croin Kicks, five dollars. Can't believe you're making Alexander stay up this late for shame. <laughs> tisk tisk. He stays up this late anyways. It's and uh, massive McGee, two euros or two two pounds rather. Wait, wait before uh, that, it is fascinating, Alexander. How how many fucking things you've done in your life? It's incredible. Yeah, I'm going to see Robert Breed love in five hours. What do you think of that? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh. Amazing. And finally, Massive McGee, I'll take you to the races, Mommy Moo. Mommy Moo. Well, Mommy Moo. Mommy Moo. Yes, I guess. Yes. Uh, there you go. <laughs> You've become races, an instant. I wonder what that means. You've become <laughs> an, instant, uh, an instant hit on uh, Break the Rules with the uh, peanut gallery. So, uh Congratulations! And Wait, you know what is funny—the Monami GF thing is such a popular internet trope now. I think there's something about it. Um, there's this YouTube channel. I don't know if you've uh, seen it. Uh, well, he's been on the show before, but maybe we should get him again. Um, what's uh, meme analysis? Mm-hmm. Uh, Justin Gabe. Uh, he has this thing called the digital anima concept, where he says that the the internet is almost like a womb-like feminine structure to place the egos of largely uh insular and hurt young men and i wonder if that's there's something to it there's a sort of digital anima complex going on and we see now with the mommy gf thing that it's coming into its own that uh even like the way the metaverse is described by zuckerface it's very much this womb cosmic womb type structure (laughs) why should it be women only who can not and I'm not, mm. I'm not going into the trans issue. I'm just saying, can't men nurture? I think men nurture in a different way, though. Men yes, nurture. Fine, fine, good. Yeah. Wait, wait, G- 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 sort of Gio. Like a force of, yeah, go ahead. I go. cannot believe this. Massive McGee, if I get this, he just donated 100 GBP. And 100 GBP is, let's see, to USD is is $135. Whoa! Massive no McGee, and, and you know what he says? He says Miss Based. That's what he calls uh, Anne, Miss Based. That's good. That's a oh, uh, that's man. a compliment. That means that you're based. I'm based. You're Thank based. You. I'm based. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Oh you know, wow! Uh, Thank you, McGee. I can't believe that. Whoever, whoever, I, I can, I can, I can snub you with French lingo if, if you do, do if you, if you sort of uh, uh, riff me. But anyway, no. Thank you very much to the guy who said I'm based. Thank you, guys, and I have to leave. But this thank was you so much, Anne. It was a great pleasure to see you here. Now, Studio Now, before we go here, let me change the screen. Before we go, I also want to thank Alexander so much for... uh, Thank uh, you so much for having me. It's been pure joy. Pure joy. It definitely has. And I just want to say once again, everybody who's watching this, don't forget to subscribe and patreon.com slash... I mean, you get the idea. Patreon.com slash break the rules. Yes. One last thing I forgot. I recently did um, this series on my YouTube channel, Jenner Productions at YouTube.com. Do you remember the Wired Magazine back page thing called Artifacts from the Future? Do you remember this? Mm, no. Alexander. No. Oh, my God. Um, it, it's about how it was a bunch of these like sort of illustrations and graphic design features where it would... Uh, it's called Found Artifacts from the Future. And I think they ran this in the year 2000s where it was... And I review all of them. It's sort of like how consumer products will 
drive um, the sort of speculative futurism of like, for example, gene editing, um, you know, vitamin ads that are targeted to your specific biome and things of that nature. And I wonder if that sort of, uh, and they, you know, for a lot of them was like critiquing it. It was sort of like very funny and so forth. Um, and like, you know, we would basically live in this genetically and a nuclear polluted wasteland and we have to like, you know, have the CRISPR technology to protect us. Uh, but I wonder if that sort of futurism that was very much like dying in like the, you know, mid 90s, early 2000s. I wonder if there was something to be said about how futurism itself sort of went out the window and the predicate being that consumer products were going to drive innovation it seems that nowadays that sentiment is grinded to a halt and the sort of like 90s mosaic society is no longer this like viable thing now yeah I, I, think, wonder- apple, I think apple was the last company that built its fortune on, on creating a sort of sexy product we're not going to go back to that we're not going to put our money there we put our money into experiences already not products any longer and after we put our money into the experience we're going to put them in whole new things so the economy is not is driven by potentialism. Potentialism is not the economy. There's potential economy. The economy is completely capitalist. But the way the economy will turn, it will go towards much more inner experience. Because it's actually in social relations, it's mimetically that we decide we spend our money on. You know, once once you've got enough food on the table, that's all you spend your money on from then on. And in that sense, I think yeah, Apple was designed as an electronic Gucci, and the electronic Gucci died with Steve Jobs, and that's over and over. Electronic yeah, Gucci, that, I love that. Yeah, the, the Gucci, it's all over. That's why fashion, the way it was, is dying as well. Because it's now so ironic. It's so many different things at the same time. And each subculture has its own way of expressing itself. That You know, there's a fashion this season. That's over and done with, you know. And people don't want the Apple products any longer, by the way. So, but, you know, because they, they, they're boring and predictable, as they always become when they're designed top-down. So I, I think that's over and done with. It's all participatory culture for now on. And participatory culture doesn't operate with any sort of good taste. But Not at all. Not a dictated that, taste any longer. Well, that's interesting to say that because Artifacts from the Future by Wired Magazine, there's also this other one by this, uh, you know, Rand Corporation affiliated NGO. I think they're yeah. called uh, the Institute for the Future. Or something yeah, I've like seen that. these museums of the future. I think they've been around for 34 years. They never really take off because we know they're not true. It's not going to happen. Mm. But, but it, it's like science fiction. Science fiction is never anything but the retelling about our current. Right. Nothing right. else. It's never about the future. Mm. The future that is contingent, unknown. Oh, that's true. They, they didn't, uh, they didn't have cell series. phones in the science fiction, right? No cell phones, no <laughs> smartphones. So. What did they get no, right? No, but thing I even said it kills this. It kills it, doesn't it, right? Yeah. No, but, but, oh, oh, wait. Oh, well, one, one other thing, by the way, that kind of kills it for me. Have you seen that Elon Musk tunnel that he built? I thought this was going he to be something interesting, but the tunnel itself, it looks like the stupidest thing ever. It's this very tiny, claustrophobic little white tunnel, and... The, the cars, there was like a traffic jam already with the Teslas that were inside of it. There's nowhere to go. Listen, I agree with my, I'm have to leave. I agree with the Mademoiselle here before. You need to take a train ride in France and enjoy the train ride between, say, Paris and Lyon. You have to do it, right? You don't have trains any longer in America. You don't know what you're talking about. That's a train. If Elon Musk can't improve a better, if he can't create a better experience than that, he's dead and over. Yeah, this oh, is the picture man. right oh, here. Oh, this is terrible. Oh, God, it's ugly. <laughs> and there's it's, nowhere it's to Tesla go. It's a Tesla up an ass. It's a Tesla through an asshole. That's <laughs> <laughs> an ugly asshole. 
But that's interesting you said that, Alexander, because I mentioned this as well when I was critiquing it, is that the predication of like for like early 90s consumer culture that that's going to last forever because a lot of these artifacts in the future they're basically ads for future products that they envisioned but you're saying like the ad economy is going to die so I don't yeah. know. wow my mm. god oh, wait, and, I, and i know you have to go but final thoughts oh, on nfts terrible. what do you think of nfts Final thoughts. Oh, so overhyped. So incredibly overhyped. Uh, thank you. Thank you. The Except original is this. dead. We don't need originals of anything any longer. Oh, no. Uh, uh, as an artist, it right. means my job is done. Superrare.com slash Lev Polyakov. Alexander Bard's oh, not wow, here, but I want to tell you, love this. go to Superrare.com go to superrare slash Lev Polyakov. Love, hashtag invest in Lev. Don't worry. I'm going to fix the angle. Geo. I got I got the big surprise coming up. Are you ready for the big surprise? Do you want to know right. the big surprise? Are you ready for this? this? Is a big surprise. Okay. I don't know how you're gonna feel about this. You're probably not gonna be happy. You're probably going to feel you're probably just gonna have like a shred of uh, terror and anger is going to go over you. But do you know what's going to happen this Thursday? It's no. not just gonna be Jay Dyer. No, sir. This is what it's gonna be. versus what the <laughs> jay dyer versus james valiant who wrote the book creating christ it's going to be oh. a debate on whether christianity was created by the roman elite in order to subvert the jewish rebellion that was going on around 70 a.d love i didn't know you i didn't think that you wanted to uh Richly sacrifice a boomer like that on the feet of Jay. Are you fucking kidding me? This is gonna be a slaughter. This is gonna be Jay is going to totally destroy this. Has he debated Valiant before? I think he. No, he I done... don't. Th I don't think so. I don't think they know oh each my other. God. This, so this is what you get Jay Dyer on for. Uh, yes. To be a boomer <laughs> remover. <laughs> <laughs> says you you have oh, to watch this, this is gonna be epic did you tell jay dyer to promote it oh of course he's gonna promote it why should oh, all his fans are get no serpent let me tell you this right now serpent. and that's agnostic informant is gonna join this as well by the way oh god well at least i'm gonna be on jay's side so <laughs> listen adam green will never happen and you know why adam green will never happen because of lab okay Adam Green will never appear on a live stream with someone like that. Adam Green and Barry And frankly, Weiss. Adam Green knows more than knows just as much about the Bible as um, I don't know. He, I, I don't want to say in case Geo, Geo, but Adam Green's you, never going to happen. Geo, have you read the Old Testament in the original Hebrew? I've read part, yeah, well, translations, obviously. I've read no, I'm not talking about translations. I'm talking about the original I Hebrew. I cannot read Hebrew, so. Okay, there we go. This is this is something we're going to get into. 2022 is going to be Break the Rules, New Saga, the Religious War Saga. It's happening. We're going to go into the nitty-gritty. We're no. not going to stop. God, yes. Please, God, yes, Geo. It can't just be me and Christians everywhere, and that's it, okay? There's got to be some pushback. There's got to no, be some just discussion. Be Christians everywhere. There's got to be some pushback and some discussion. we got to look at the original source text. we got to look at the original Hebrew text and compare what they wrote in the Septuagint to what was written in the original Hebrew well, text in order to find out. I'm sure he did.
said, and it's going to be a very amazing stream. And that is what you guys are going to see after the stream is done. There's going to be. How does this work, love? How does this work? Uh, well, it's uh, because of Gnostic Informant. Gnostic Informant oh, had Valiant on, and Gnostic. This is what I'm talking about, Geo. This is fate working its way in in order to avenge what was going well, on earlier with just me and all the Christians <laughs> and all the reactionaries going against me because I didn't have anybody on my side. That shit ends today, boy. We are changing things around here on BTR. It's going on to be. It's, it's going to be a bloodbath. It's you going to be a no. bloodbath. It's going to be a religious war the likes that you've never seen before. I well, guarantee I can't it. Wait. I guarantee Get it. On that it one is too. happening. It is happening. I, I would love to have Pajou on as love well. It, no, but in all seriousness, you got to stop putting me in a bad position like that. I mean, it's going to be fun when me and Tyler go up. and but I'm I mean, putting you one... in a great position. You get to defend your faith. I'm putting you in a great position. No, that's a terror. Listen, I was watching some of those videos from his debate partner. And uh, let's say it borders on outright blasphemy. and uh, But, you know, it's kind of like on Thursday, it's going to be like a tag tournament where it's, uh, you know, the experienced veteran has a young up-and-comer with him. I mean, I wouldn't like, you say... know what? You're going to go in the ring. So Jay Dyer is going to make my job <laughs> quite easy. I'm probably not going to have to say a few words in edgewise. So uh, with, Jay, with Jay on the stream, you really don't have to say very, very many words. Here's, so, the fi um, here's the final thing. This is from our good friend, uh, Catherine Brodsky. I want to oh. just share this. Uh, why, why are you, why are you, oh, you don't even know what I'm about to show here. No, this I is, was, I, I, this is no, what she posted over here. Oh, okay. That. All right, here yeah. we go. Catherine Brodsky's post over here. Truth does not mind being questioned. A lie does not like being challenged. There we go. This is the motto of Break the Rules in 2022. We're bringing everybody together oh. in order to get to the bottom of all the biggest questions because we do have access to a lot of information today and the worlds are about to merge. We are about to have the dimensional merge. This is the real dimensional merge, people, and this is why you got to subscribe right now. Breaktherules.tv, patreon.com well, slash like breaktherules. No, no. <laughs> Did I say that out loud? Oh, man. I'm going to clip this out and send it to her as a present tie a little bow on it but uh, I, the rule about the idea of christianity well i've read sacred mushroom in the cross and he gets allegro gets like quite a, quite a lot of things wrong i mean even just a, a lot of the evidence is based on a few tangential mosaics where christ is supposedly holding a mushroom but i think that the whole idea again this goes back to a lot of errors within uh christian uh, sort of Christian historicity where it's like attributing like certain sacred mystery cults to the creation of Christianity. I think like the psychedelic mushroom people suffer from sort of like the same uh, problems as like, you know, a lot of Gnostics. I mean, I get it. Like the whole thing, mushroom being like the first sacrament in the flesh of Christ. I just think that it's wrong in like a lot of different, mm. like it's not very well, he, accurate. I, I would agree idea. with you, Gio. Just... I, there I would agree with you just because you know my stance uh, when it comes to psychedelics. Unlike a lot of Gnostics out there, I actually think that psychedelics is something that uh, becomes a crutch for your uh, willpower where you're relying on no, an external but even, substance. Even the claim that certain psychedelic mushrooms were present within like the Levant at the time. I mean, psychedelia in terms of metaphysics in terms of uh their spread throughout populations is very much a global south thing it's like the whole it's the same with people that were trying to claim that christ came from the east or like you know he had an epic bro journey with the buddha 
something like that. It's sort of like the same. Mm. The problem is like the history always follows waves. And when you have a lot of different figures coming out of that second axial age, of course, I, me and Tyler, we go back and forth because Tyler believes that the axial age thesis is incorrect, which I could see historically is incorrect because a lot of these different figures that were supposedly in the second axial age are very, you know, widely apart based on geography and based on history itself, right, in time. But when it comes to even the claim that mushrooms, you have to claim basically that a lot of global South ideas and mysticism traveled to the Middle East at the time and the Levant particularly, which is kind of like, I don't know, they, Allegro makes far too much of it. Plus the guy, you have to realize a lot of this geography, a lot of this, uh, a lot of this uh, bioanthropology came from people like R. Gordon Wasson, who were like basically glowy, like you know, foundation mm. Rockefeller oil well, executives. What's uh, what's more fascinating to me is not the psychedelic uh, angle; it's more of the angle of the uh, real politique at the time that was going on in the Middle East, oh. where you had Israel being kind of like the Al Qaeda of its day, where you had these uh, rebels and this faction that was controlling Israel at the time was not that popular with a lot of Jews who actually preferred Rome to uh, rule over it and who didn't actually want to well. cause problems with the, with the Roman state. And the theory goes is that those were the Jews that actually teamed up together with the Roman state in order to overthrow the people who were there. So when you have people like, uh, for example, Titus, well, before him you had, uh, who's the emperor, uh, Fl Flavian something or other? Um, um, Octavian? No, 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 not, no. Octavian is way before. So we had Titus. Oh, no, um, the emperor, uh. Vespasian, Vespasian, Vespasian. Vespasian, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So Vespasian, according to certain uh, sources inside the, um, inside the, what was that book that the uh, 4chan people really despise, yet they've never read it? That Jewish book? Uh, you know what I'm talking about? The uh, Talmud. Uh... So in the Talmud, you have this uh, recollection of this uh, high-level uh, Jewish yes, priest. Yes, Christ is apparently boiling feces, according to... Again, this love? is okay. First of all, I haven't read that particular entry, but what I know about the, uh, Talmud, the Talmud, what I I haven't read uh, that much of it at all. But what I have read, as far as excerpts, they would have one rabbi say that a Gentile should be uh, uh, murdered for reading the Torah, and then you have another rabbi right underneath say that is bullshit. That Gentile, because he's capable of reading the Torah, he should instead be honored. Because he is able to read well, the Torah. It does seem like so, a Pollack, like a like a chantard, like talking yeah, point. Yeah, that was the original four chan. Like Christ being boiled in feces. No, but what's but what's like what's more interesting though is the politics happening around that time of seventy A.D. when the temple fell, because you have somebody like uh, Vespasian <laughs> being looked at as being uh, kind of like a messiah to the Jews at that time. Ironically enough, even though he came in there and he. Um, he, you know, he took it over. But the reason being is that a lot of Jews at that time actually saw the zealots that were in charge as being like this Al-Qaeda extremist millennarian yeah. sect. So it's very funny how we have people like, uh, what's his name, uh, Weinstein, giving the middle finger to that statue of uh, the Arch of Titus, even though that was actually somebody who was considered by a lot of Jews at the time to actually be a savior because he but, but saved people from the extremists. 
how so, is crisis well no this goes this back case? to the this goes back to the idea and i don't know that much about it right now i'm gonna leave that up to the uh the uh, people in the uh conversation to expect expand on but the idea being there geo is that there needed to be a text that was written in order to give the jews that were living there a different way of looking at their relationship towards uh, rome where Rome was being looked at by a lot of these extremists as being the enemy, even though Christianity teaches the exact opposite, that you should not rebel against Caesar, that you should not do all these things that were being done by the extremists at that time. Well, not exactly. There's mis misinterpretations there. Like, that came up in the that Gnostic video that uh, Gnostic informed. Like, I mean, the interpretation of... That's very much like a... I would say Americanist, like American Protestant, like Lutheran interpretation of Romans 13. Originally, like, like in original Christianity, um, it wasn't like, you know, do whatever the Caesar says or else. Like it's, there's a lot of nuance in terms of the politics of the New Testament that is not really touched upon by detractors of Christianity. They, that think it's like, you know, you're cucking to Caesar or whatever. Like, Can you give me an example? What were the political things inside of Christianity that would Well, no, been... when people bring up Romans 13 about you have to like render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Christ wasn't saying like, do whatever Caesar says, meaning do whatever worldly power says. He is saying that my kingdom is not of this world. And when it comes to worldly power, of course the early Christians rebelled against their own empire. I mean, obviously. It, it, he wasn't saying, like, do whatever Caesar tells you to do. I mean, that's a very facetious interpretation of Romans 13. There's a lot of instances where Christ directly rebelled against the sort of politics of the time. Like the money changers are an example. Um, and so, anyways, you didn't explain. Go ahead. What were you going to say about why Christ was this you know, a psyop for uh, the Romans or I don't know. I can't say that I have a dog in the fight specifically whether Christ was a psyop with the Romans. There are other things I find no, to the be Jew, more, the early Jews more compelling. Was yes. The, yes. Like so, how so? Yeah, so with the early Jews in the, the AD 70, they were of two minds when it came to ancient Rome. Some people wanted ancient Rome to be kind of like America coming into the Middle East, you know, being policemen yeah. of the world at the time. And then we had other uh, Jews who didn't want that, who wanted Israel to be an independent nation that governs according to its own laws. But the problem is that the uh, faction that was of that mind, they were also extremists when it came to the idea that the Messiah is about to come, so we got to get ready for the Messiah. And so they were very religiously intolerant of uh, people doing anything other than what was prescribed in the Torah, and that pissed a lot of centrists off, including some of the people who were the temple priests, which is why then you have people like Vespasian coming in and being considered to be a messiah figure by some Jews uh, as written in the... Um, uh, my mind is a blank, right? You know what I'm talking about, as written in the, uh, you know, the, the book we mentioned. So as far as Jesus Christ being a psyop i personally have no evidence of that to show you right now this is not something that no, i have but what read. is uh they claim though that it, christ was designed to de-radicalize the jews or how does uh, partly the jews but it doesn't stop at the jews meaning that Christ would be a figure that would be used by Rome to maintain power, where, for example, you have this uh, pontiff, Pontifus Maximus, a uh, designation for the uh, Roman emperor, that was what Julius Caesar was called, henceforth being given to the Pope 
as opposed to the emperor, but still that title Pontifus Maximus is retained. So the conspiracy goes is that even though, like I would personally say, regardless of what I have to say right now, I consider that one part of Christianity that a lot of Christians end up ignoring, I think, of treating others as you would want to be treated. You know, that part that kind of flies in the face of all the religious wars and all the bloodshed and all that. That part, I like. I'm sure that part you also like. Yeah, but, but Blev, that, that's the important you have to give part. the context of that statement. The, what context? context is very simple. And it's treat not others actually, as you would want to be treated. Actually, treat others as you would want to be treated. As long as they don't aggress upon you, you know, like... A, Let me treat read other... you the Bible quote, okay. actually, Lev. It's What that means isn't... Um, treat others it doesn't mean like um tolerate others as you would like treat others as you would other as your yourself um it's it's more of saying that you know in a uh, the world as purified by christ is <laughs> of course you're going to treat others as you would wish to treat yourself that's you know but it doesn't mean like enable others or not uh weed out um you know, evil in the world. Yeah, but with the not... weeding, yeah, but Geo, with the weeding out of evil, the problem that I have there is that is similar to that ancient Roman strategy of uh, being offensive for the sake of defense, where the justification of going into the uh, barbarian territory is that we got to go there, we got to fight them over there so they don't fight us over here. You know, it's a similar situation when it comes to anything that you would perceive of as being heretical or bad. At a certain point, you got to call it quits. At a certain point, you got to say, okay, now we're stepping over the, the line. Now we're just burning, uh, you know, burning libraries. Now we're just torturing people, you know, Spanish that Inquisition time. Uh, now we're now we're getting a little bit over the shit, line. That's kind of uh, yeah. That's um, no, but but back but back to the pain, back to the point that I was talking about with the psyop idea is that it was not just for the sake of the Jews because sure you could say that with the Jews they are not even going to buy Christianity anyway because they have the original Hebrew text which counters a lot of the translations afterwards with the Septuagint where the words don't end up, don't end up meaning what they uh, meant in the original Hebrew there were mistranslations so the Jews are not going to buy the New Testament to begin with but despite that, the idea I think with Christianity well, was you would hold on, Geo. You got it. You got to Let me finish. The idea of this conspiracy theory is that you would keep Rome ruling over people. You would have it in a language that they that most of them wouldn't speak anymore, and thus you would you know you would forbid the study of Hebrew. You would forbid the study of the Torah, so people would not be able to actually go to the original source and be able to compare that. And I'd say, you know what? Like, let's open it up. Let's see who's right. Let's read the Hebrew text and compare it with uh, whatever you have. No, instead, it was a culture of just submitting to whatever the priests say in the language that people don't understand. To me, that's more control than anything else, which is yeah, why... Yeah, you I need that control or else you're going to open yourself up to all sorts of misinterpretations that will lead down very heretical paths. That's so why not read the original this, Hebrew? Why not read the original Hebrew? Well, they Hebrew? did read the original Hebrew. Who? In the Vatican, you know, in the, the Roman Catholic Church. Like, who? it doesn't make any sense in this equation. The, pe the, because... people, the people who translated the uh, uh, Septuagint for the masses, they're the people who, well, not even for the masses. They didn't let the masses have that. So who were the people you're talking about that uh, read the original Hebrew? Well, who the were the chosen fathers, ones there? I mean, it's, 
you, the first yeah, and it's top with them. The so, so you let you let the Christian fathers read the original Hebrew. You haven't read the original Hebrew, so you're just trusting that they're going to give you the authentic version of uh, events. Well, they're greater men than you or I, love. So that's. But guess what? I mean, but guess what, Geo? Today we have the internet, so both of us have the ability to read it in the original Hebrew and to compare it to what the church fathers said. I don't said. understand. I, like, first of all, I don't understand how reading in the original Hebrew is this epic bacon reddit own that people think it is i mean it's the same people that claim that well you know they didn't actually say uh, gay, gay people they meant uh you know cheese pizza people even though in every ancient culture they're pretty much you know equated with each other um i don't understand how this is an epic bacon reddit own love but this claim that christianity was designed as a psyop to like instantiate roman power and to like quell rebellion that's obviously bullshit because the ancient fedora tipper line from the enlightenment onwards from edward gibbons onwards was that christianity undermined the roman empire and that we would have like we wouldn't have political instability in the west if it was it wasn't for christianity so now the pivot is that well you know actually uh you know christianity is a roman psyop because it like like does it make any fucking sense because the message of Christianity was contrary to the various Roman mystery cults and Roman political rule. So it doesn't make, so the book is BTFO, but Jay Dyer is going to epically destroy that narrative. Here is Luke. And from what you said, Lev. All so right. the first, this is from Luke. Um, and this is of course the new international version, which isn't the best. This is Luke six, um, 27 onwards. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good for those who hate you. 28, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other also. Um, so what that meant was that was sort of a comical uh, refrain to say, well, if they slap you on one cheek, then turn the other for them. Meaning like it's a cheeky way of saying that, you know, confront your enemies with stride. It didn't mean like, you know, become a, you know, a, some kind of California Buddhist, you know, Says who? let your enemies hate you. Says who? Wait, let me read. Let me read. Okay. There's very, there's a lot of biblical scholar work on that line alone of turn the other cheek. If someone slaps you in one cheek, turn the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone also who asks you. And if everyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do unto others as you have would to do unto you so this is almost like an ironic way of saying it to say that well you know if they take your stuff then don't ask for it back um because it's followed by in 32 the other stanza if you love those who love you what what credit is that of you even sinners love those who love them and if you do good to those who could do good to you what credit is that to you even sinners do that to them and if you lend to those whom you expect repayment what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting you to go in the back. And uh, then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is the kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful to those uh, who is father to you. So it means that even sinners have the ability to lend to them and be good to those who are sinners. So it's contradicting this hippy-dippy, liberal interpretation of christianity saying that well you know even the sinner will be nice to other sinners so meaning you have to rise above just baseless moral do-gooding there has to be a guarantee of a true righteous and godly act other than just well you know like Kantian moralism, the, the categorical imperative. If a murderer says, where is your child? I want to murder. 
and you have to lie to them, Kant would say, oh, no, you still can't lie to them. That's not what Christianity is saying at all. Um, so it says Israeli proverb, if I don't steal it, somebody's going to steal it. <laughs> so, Lev, that, like, that's the, the misinterpretation of the Christian message. That a lot of these people nowadays, they throw in their face saying, oh, you know, turn the other cheek, bro. Like, that's not what it meant. It's it's an ironic... It starts off with irony and it goes to the sincerity of saying, well, you know, if we lived in a world that is sanctified by Christ, then we can turn the other cheek. Then we can treat others as we would treat ourselves. Because even the, the criminal, the thief, will treat others who are thieves like themselves. So th that's the thing. That's not... Anyways, I'm getting tongue-tied right now. All right, final um, final thing I wanted to say over here. Psalm 49.7. What is Psalm... Wait, let me look at this. Up. Look it up. Look Psalm 49.7. Curious what you think of that. Again, Gio, I'm not the expert here. I'm going to leave it to the people who are well-read in the Bible, the Torah, whatever, to get into this and get into the nuts and bolts and um, find out exactly... So Psalm, so Psalm 49.7 um, could not have redeemed us on the cross... No, no one can redeem life if another or give to God a ransom for them. If there is no way to redeem a ransom, someone life is God in the eyes. Uh, yeah, this that's is the a, one. is this a hopeless state? Does this verse negate the? So this has got uh, negated the verse that Jesus is our redeemer or that His death was the ransom of our souls. The broader context of Psalm forty nine seven seems to double down the doctrine that no one can redeem another person. Here's verse seven to nine: No one can redeem life of another or give God a ransom for them. A ransom of life is costly; not paying is ever enough. The overarching theme of the scripture is clear. Jesus, son of God, is the redeemer, and he did indeed take the punishment for our sins of the cross. There are several reasons why Psalm 49 does not militate against this truth, and here are four of them. One, primary reason is not in contradiction with the New Testament's doctrine of Christ's redemption is the psalm is about being redeemed from physical death, not eternal death. The psalm's point is that everyone dies rich and poor, Wise or foolish, no amount of wealth can save the person. There is no safety in numbers, but death comes to all. It is a folly to trust oneself and the pointless to fret over the um, power amassed by the wicked. Using Psalm 40, uh, 49 7 to say that Jesus could not have redeemed us on the cross is an example of a categorical error. Dissimilar things like apples and oranges cannot be logically compared. Psalm 49 speaks of the futility of trying to avoid physical death. The New Testament speaks of our redemption in Jesus Christ alone. It's apples and oranges. Number two, 49.7 cannot be taken to mean that Jesus is not the Redeemer found within Psalm itself. Psalm 49.15 says, But God will redeem from me from the realm of death. He will surely take me to himself. There is no Redeemer according to verse 7, but according to verse 15, God can and will redeem in the second death the death of eternity. Wait, are you talking about the conclusion. New Testament verses? Are you talking about the yes. New Testament? Okay, well, I'm not talking about the yes. New Testament verses right now. I'm just talking about the Let's look OG. at Psalm 49.7. No yes. man could possibly redeem his brother or pay God ransom to them. This Another verse, the ransom for life is costly. No payment is ever enough so that they should live on forever and not see decay. Meaning that they should live on in a physical death. No one can become a soothsayer with an eternal fountain of youth, tuck everlasting potion to free us of death and decay. They meant in the corporeal, 
physical body. Where do they no mean it in the corporeal you. sense? Only what Christ is, can redeem you. Geo, what is life. the what is the corporealness of this particular verse? Where is the corporeal nature of it, as opposed to it being because uh, it carries about on. the afterlife? Because in the Bible, when it says Psalm 49, 9, so that they should live on forever and not see decay. Because decay does not come up in other verses when it's connoting Christ delivering us in the second death in eternal life. That's a contradiction. Only that was which is subject to corporality can decay, not eternal life. Very so, interesting. All right, what I'm going to do is I'm going go, to love. I'm going to say I'm not even listen. There are people far greater than me, including that's Jay Dyer right there. Mm. When it comes to biblical hermeneutics, but me, I'm just I'm just riffing off what the verse says. I mean, I'm not you know keep you going. Oh, well, you have a you have a special website saved yes, I, I for, gotta for whenever the book of for, for whenever series. whenever people ask you questions about the verses. I'm sure you've got a special bookmark website saved that give you all the. All the answers you need to say. Well, I mean, yeah, New Advent or Catholic Answers is a pretty good resource. There we um, go. No, but no, even just me, I, I mean, I know for a fact that in those verses when Christ talks about, whether it's in Mark, whether it's Ezekiel, um, where it's talked of eternal life or the second death, even Revelation, then they there is no sense in which decay is denoted because they are talking specifically about the second uh, the, the, the sort of the second death implies a spiritual death, so there is a just a a um, an occluding of those forces of decay that affect physical life. So what this verse is saying is that if anyone says to you, "I will redeem you in your physical life," meaning that you have some kind of tuck everlasting potion that can deliver you into eternity, some kind of Georgianian Promethean <laughs> AI program bullshit, then. Uh, just ignore those people. They're not redeemed by Christ. In fact, they're probably in hell right now because they have given you a false promise of salvation. That is the whole point of Psalm. It reaffirms the totality of the New Testament to say that soothsayers, potion grabbers, um, Georgianian, Promethean liberals, they're all going to hell. Georgiani, I hate to say it, you're going to hell, buddy, because you promised people a false salvation that is corporeal and not eternal. That to be to be to be fair though, to be fair though, Gio, if we're talking about the five books of Moses and then the uh, prophets right? and so on and so forth, we're not exactly given that good of an idea of the uh, afterlife. We're not really given a good idea of what awaits us there, other than like certain base concepts of shale, things of that nature. So everything you're introducing here as far as, and I'm not saying that you're wrong about that interpretation of Salbs. All that I'm saying is that a lot of things having to do with this more of a uh, platonic idea of the uh, immortality of the soul and so on and so forth, that comes later. So I view that as being a separate thing. So in that case, I think neither of us can actually pin down whether exactly this verse has anything to do with uh, you know discrediting uh, new testament or uh, or uh crediting the new testament either it's kind of near near neither here nor there that's how at least from what you said and from what i read that's the way that i'm looking at it right now i can't really see this being used in defense of their you know not being a jesus or jesus being a psyop from what you said and from what i'm able to see but this is a very this is going to be a very interesting part of btr well, history i can feel 49, it 49 10 it says for all who can say that the wise die the foolish and the senseless also perish leaving their wealth to others that is clearly denoting physical death their tombs will remain their tombs will remain with 
their houses forever, their dwellings for endless yeah. generations. But again, Gio, you're not going to find anything beyond physical death in the Torah. You're not going to find anything beyond physical death in the Tanakh. That They're... is why it is false, because Christ gives us the message of eternal life. Sorry, I hate to say it, Lev. Hate to break it down that way, boy, but it's just, uh, I, I, I know it's... No, but that's the problem is that there is no clear picture within the Torah. Because it's within... a different because it's a different text. Because they're not connected. Exactly. That's th this is why you have to get rid of this whole Judeo-Christian nonsense. Then We've get rid of the old then why do you have then, the then why do you then why do you have the Old Testament? No, my point is that they're un they're because unconnected. Because the Old Testament has to be viewed from the prison of to the New Testament. It is a prism from which we can understand the New Testament, even if the New Testament has superseded it. That is the point. You say, you say superseded, and I lean on it just being a different book that's not really connected because with it. Because you have except, excluded Paul. Except because for, you, except you for certain Gnostic things that are introduced. You think Paul is some anti-Semite? And that, and that's like you know, Paul is. It's like logos. No, no, I, th I think they've introduced. I think they introduced things they obviously knew about the Torah and the Tanakh. They knew about it, so they took things from the Torah and the Tanakh, and they reinterpreted through the lens of Hellenism, through the lens of all these philosophies that were not there at the time that this one was written. So they made some. They made something. They made something. They made something. I think that leans on. Okay, I think that they made something. Where they could say they could say the Torah with... the Torah has this to say about Jesus and why because we say the following in the New Testament but I think that it makes the most sense that they looked at the Old Testament and they took certain things from the Old Testament in order to justify whatever they wrote in the New Testament that at least seems to be logical for me but again I, think I don't you're know being, you're being spun a yarn by these Gnostic people Lev I think that's the problem you're being spun a yarn there's a lot of historical inaccuracies there me and tyler were actually comparing notes for this debate there's a lot of inaccuracies there's a lot of mistranslations there's this using one source that was completely discredited recently i mean the problem is like this whole thing that you know paul was viewed you know paul took from hellenism and that you know that created uh what we know is the myth of christ i mean that's kind of just spur spurious reasoning because the conclusions that paul comes to is sort of completely different from Hellenistic thought in in the Greek and Roman world. I mean, even Paul saying that we are all slaves to Christ, the, the way he uses slavery, for instance, that we are the slaves of Christ, we are the slaves of our Father. I mean, that is completely contradictory to the system that was set up by Hellenistic thought. It's even contradictory to the natural slave thesis of Aristotle. You know what? It's not contradictory. You know what? It's Aristotle. not contradictory towards. It's not contradictory towards the Roman elites who liked the idea of their being slaves under them. It's not contra uh, contradictory to that. But even the Roman elites themselves within the Christian picture are ultimately slaves to the divine as well. So they, they don't... Well, they, they could pretend Christian, to be. They could Christian pretend to be in order to justify the uh, slavery of the lower class. They could definitely pretend to be that. But you don't know what happens... This whole thing about Christianity and slavery, that's such utter nonsense because... They the, just the change it to serve them. They change it to serve them. Read Giorgio Gomman's book on it, where he talks about the Pauline letters. Even like the you know the height of postmodern thought. Giorgio Agamben even concludes that um, the, when the the connotation of a spiritual subjugation to the message of Christ that affects both ruler and kind as well. It even says that even says here right in Psalm, the rich and the powerful and the foolish, the the rich, the powerful, the wise. The poor, the subjugated, and the foolish will all perish because the first death 
in the Christian system is a setting up a story a storyline for the second death, which is the eternal life that is provided to us by Christ to both rich and poor, ruler and subjugated alike. And this is a complete contradiction of a lot of Hellenistic thought, including in these Eleusian and Mithric mystery schools that have set up this natural spiritual hierarchy that Christ has occluded. So, it, sorry, I, I just... I'm re- well, I'm you're, shoot you're them, ex- man, to quote Iron Sheet. Geo, Geo, um, if something if something was set up as a psyop, you're expecting the psyop not oh. to contradict itself. That's what you're saying. No, I'm saying that the critics. Oh, you're, you're expecting it not to, not to contradict various elements that it took from. So when I say that but, it but, may but, have but, taken things, hold on, hold on. But then you, that's the Roman hold on, Geo. Saying, well, you know, I'm actually I'm only being half retarded then if it contradicts Roman rule. So it's like. No, it go depends. Ahead, Sorry, it it depends because if you're talking about contradiction, if you're taking something from Hellenism, you're taking something from it. It doesn't mean that you're trying to be the best Hellenist, the best Neoplatonist you can be. No, the idea is to take certain things that would make this uh, particular religion work in the favor of whoever the elites are going to be. Now, I know that you're saying that things were really fucked up back then and they had to rebuild. Keep in mind, though, that if we're talking about the Eastern Roman Empire, that didn't go away. In fact, a lot of the uh, uh, Geo uh, fanboys in the chat, I'm sure that they would agree that the Byzantine Empire was the continuation of Rome that was one of the most successful empires of all time, as they say, last thousand-year Reich. You know, that was the original thousand-year Reich right there. And to them, I would say, okay, great. You have your Roman elites, and you have them having continuous rule thanks to this particular text where you have people who... Yeah, but there were different elites, though, Lev. Their their rule in in Western Rome was smashed, pretty much. I mean, in, in Western Rome, I mean, Christianity was... The problem is that this whole own that, well, you know, Christianity helped empire. Every belief up until then helped empire. It was only Christianity that superseded most empires throughout continental Europe, including Byzantium. And the problem with this thing is that you have on one end, you have the fedora tipping um, enlightenment shills that largely come from misinterpretation by Edward Gibbon to say that Christianity was the main reason why Roman the Roman Empire fell. On the other hand, you have this other thing where it's like Lehekin awesome you know, Rosicrucian Gnosticism against the evil, terrible Christian, you know, you have two sides of the same problem, which is the refusal to accept that maybe Christianity was a pretty damn good check on empire throughout the ages. That maybe when the Pope had more power than a lot of these absolute monarchists that, you know, were running afoul with all of their, you know, usury and all of their debt collecting, Maybe that's uh, that was a big problem. As soon as empire found a way to weaken the knees of Christianity within continental Europe, maybe that wasn't for the better of the you know these populations. And I know that you know Gnostic informant others are going to bring up the whole like meme about the Dark Ages, which you know even mainstream shitlib historians don't even support anymore. Um, I I just sorry, I'm just ranting right now. I don't know. It's I got you fired you. up. It's nothing against you or anyone or agnostic informant. I'm just saying that. Yeah. It you know as a Christian, I have a way of thinking, and I think that no, I, I don't want it any other way. Attacks against Christianity 
are sort of unfounded. There is I, a lot to be critiqued. I don't want. I don't but, want it any other way, Geo. The <laughs> only <Geo> thing. <laughs> the only thing. The only thing I'm trying to get here is that I don't and even want it to be thought of an, as an attack. I don't want it to be thought of as an attack. What I want this to be, no, and I know I'm that it's saying. also going to be spicy. But what I also want it to be is if somebody brings up something in uh, Thursday's debate that let's say needs to be looked at more from either side. I welcome that. I welcome the ability to then go and look and research and then come back and then be able I to talk about this. I think you should read this. Edward Fesser, in my opinion. You go and read Edward Fesser if you want a good resource for apologetics that isn't overtly theory sellish, that isn't overtly like Thomistic logic stuff. I think uh, you should read Fesser. You should read some Church Fathers. Um, I know that the Ortho Bros, they have their own favorite uh, John of Christ-Home. Christ-Home? Christ-Home? I, I, John of Christome. Uh, there's also um, other ones who are very. I, I forget what Jay Dyer recommends. Um, this one book that isn't the Seraphim Rose one. It's the other one um, that outlines the Orthodox faith. Uh, but in terms of Catholicism, I would highly recommend Edward Fesser mm. and other ones. I know Tyler has some. Uh, well, well Jay, Jay has become a Catholic now, right? No, no, he's no, no way, no, he's total ortho, bro. Oh, really? Because I used he's a very uh... easily the voice of orthodoxy online. Ah, I should have used uh, an Chester orthodox Tinnott. painting, but I used the cathedral. But that that should be fine. Well, it's, yeah, it's a nice um, looking. It's a nice looking cathedral. It's got the um, stained glass. Eternity of Man is a good resource by Chesterton, although people have contradicted. Um, People have been uncomfortable with the thesis that Chesterton laid out that uh, Christ had to become an atheist or something like that. Uh, but no, Chesterton's really good as well. Um, the Eternity of Man. I haven't read all of it. I should go and actually read all of it before um, our debate with the Gnostics. Mm. Uh, but but eventually, Geo, will you learn the Hebrew language and will you take a look at the passages in the original Hebrew? Because I don't know why this would be something that would be, uh, uh, you know, why this would be something that would be thrown out of the window here. It's not some corrupting well, book here. It's the original fucking text, the one that the Septuagint was based on. So if you want to look at the things that Christians say, emphasize uh, beforehand, prophesize Jesus Christ, then take a look at those things in the original Hebrew and see if they stand up. That's all I'm saying. Well, of course, but I mean, that's I'm saying that... Um, there are scholars within the Orthodox and Catholic church that have looked at the, I mean, I don't understand it. Is there this, uh, conspiracy Christians have against looking at the original Hebrew? I don't understand this. So. Yeah. The, uh, the, the Hebrew Torah was banned. It was burned during uh, the middle ages. Uh, so yeah, there definitely was. Well, there were probably some kind of, uh, subversive texts within it that, undermine the message of christ i mean it's uh, entirely possible undermine their uh, message we'll of ask christ G. about this can you do me a favor yes remind me about the remind the chat uh, not the chat um remind us about this point about the septuagint and the hebrew bible i think jay dyer has gone into this on his show oh so uh man yeah I will uh, definitely remind you. I don't even have to so remind you. So pick about it. This is definitely um, something that's on my mind, and this is going to be a lot of fun. I, I can't wait. So, guys, here is the link. Through, but you as a teacher, Dyer is – yeah, I agree with that. Dyer is definitely more of a fiery um, – Well, he's got the word Dyer in his surname. That should tell you something. You he's know? relentless. Just be prepared for fireworks. <laughs> 
Oh, that he is totally I, I definitely am. Um, so here is the link, guys. Over here, you can see it in the chat. Uh, Jay Dyer versus James Valiant. You're also going to see this link after this stream concludes. So go there. And if you want more of this, whether you're the Christians that want to totally body whoever says anything against your faith, or if you are <laughs> people who want to body the Christians, either way, if you want these spicy, magical confrontations to keep happening patreon.com i can't stress this enough patreon.com slash break the rules go there right now you are going to get for 10 smackaroos uh a mp3 of the episodes after they come out you are going to get uh, your chance to be on the streams as well like we're gonna have patreon only streams coming up and i really do like that uh, stream uh, that was on odyssey where half of it was here i mean that's really what we should have done we should have had like the second part which i wasn't even expecting on odyssey but either way it's still an odyssey like if you go to odyssey right now you can yeah. watch it anyway 20 dollar patrons are going to get beautiful hand crafted wooden magnets created by my father alexander polyakov you know it you love it. And $30 patrons are going to get beautiful prints from Gio Penichetti right here. In fact, what am I doing? I'm being lazy. I'm going to load the images up so you guys can see the actual magnets and things of that nature. And uh, $50 patrons are going to get all of the above, plus also going to get a $50... So instead of the instead of the $20 magnet, you're going to get a $50 custom magnet of whatever design you want. So if you are a fan of Styx Hexenhammer 666, for example, you can get this nice looking uh, Styx Dragon. And this is the uh, Patreon print that I was talking about earlier. Here it is, let me just scroll down so you guys could see uh, could see that in action. Right over, right over here, here it is. So this is it. Geo, do you ever do you ever get tired of seeing yourself at work? Because I don't. I think it's a very beautiful huh. thing. It's like looking at a sunset. Uh, well, it, in, it depends. Fast forward, you know. With the nipping press, it's much less dramatic. Uh, it's funny you mentioned we were talking about this about uh, turn the other cheek because Jonathan Pagiot has a video that came out four hours ago, weaponizing compassion. So that's probably synchronicity, I guess. Um, so it's about, in this video, I discuss the aspects of Antichrist that is weaponizing compassion. I use examples of Judas in scripture in the 2016 film called Silence as stark dem demonstrations of this pattern that can help us to recognize in our world today. Um, so that's that's pretty cool. That uh, So uh, go check that out after the stream. And uh, our good friend Jonathan Pajou. Uh, it's very interesting. Um, I think I saw that. Did I? I didn't see that film Silence. Was that with uh, What's-Her-Face? Um, what uh, Meryl Streep, I think it was. She was a nun or something. Uh, but yeah, compassion's totally being weaponized. I mean, it's uh, that's the problem, and I think that Christians have to. Uh, the problem, of course, is pedagogy. Is that the the churches they haven't done a good job with actually explaining what they mean by that verse, uh, turn the other cheek, and so forth. I think that, uh, so I'm yeah. definitely excited. Well, you would say that today when they're talking about turn the other cheek, they're not talking about this cheek. They're talking about a different cheek, if you know what, I, if you know what I'm getting at. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, that's uh, another thing, too. I, that's another thing I not, Would Jay Dyer don't make any comments like that, please, God. He's, he's got a bit of a hairpin trick, so don't. 
Just don't insult him. Put it that way. Don't, don't. All right. Oh, and ABC said oh, over here, here's terrible. a fin towards a true 100 GBP. So apparently, uh, whoever did that 100 GBP, that was a liar taking advantage of the chat system where you can make it look as if you send in the super chat even though you didn't. Oh, fuck. Oh, Ooh. no. What a bastard. Ooh. Anyway, oh. that was that. Listen. If you want to make the 100 GPP or however it's spelled, I don't even know this fake money. If you want to make it happen, keep sneeding, keep maybe whatever, keep sneeding more super chats. We appreciate it. Once again, I'm going to send in the Patreon link. Listen, you guys, okay? Go to Patreon oh, right now. Oh, not 100 good boy points. I Oh, I get it. 100 ah, good boy points. Yeah, there you go. Nice. See, this is but it's weird though because when I put it into the uh, when I put it into Google, it did give me an amount. So that was some weird fuckery yeah, right there. Pound sterling, I think that's the British. Yeah. Ah, there we go. Interesting, interesting. Okay, so there's a lot of good stuff over here. Thursday, be ready for it because it's coming. And I mean, I'm I'm not gonna be. Geo, here's the thing. Just so you and everybody else here knows in the chat. I would rather be living with uh, uh, neighbors today who are Christian than anybody else, honestly. Because the Christians that I've been around, you know, be growing up in Brooklyn, going to Catholic school, they're great. They have a great work ethic. You know, they um, put their money into charities. So there is absolutely nothing wrong that I see with that uh, side of Christianity. Now, I do see other things wrong with the whole bloodshed and everything like that. And, I mean, wasn't Christianity uh, shedding the most, like, even compared to Islam? Was Christianity no, not actually, shedding no, the most no. blood? Okay, who's, who gets they the high score? They were shedding the far more blood in other parts of the world. Wait, wait, who gets That's, the high score? I don't know, actually. Well, in I terms mean, of if religions. You go total high score, it's, it's the, the military Mongols? regimes of the 20th century. I think, yeah, the Mongols probably slaughtered far more people. Yeah, I think so. Hold on. Let me take let me take a look here. And this is probably biased, but I'm just curious now. Which religion killed the most people? Let's see. Why are you <laughs> Let's specifically see. religion? Well, because it's one thing to have war for, you know, like, I mean, it's obviously, I mean, communism is the worst. But if we're talking about religion, like which one? Uh, da, 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 da. What the, What is atenism? What What is that? Okay, okay, so the Native Americans, I w wouldn't say that fully counts because a lot of those deaths were from uh, germs. Well, uh, I, I would say Vedic thought probably uh, killed the most because when they went to the Bantus, they uh, said namaste before they oh, started the Bantus. Um, All right, that's anyway. That's probably just the fucking uh, thoughts on atheism. What is a... a Do you say atheism? No, Aten, like the Egyptian uh, god. How I do you spell that? Otanism? Otanism. Ot yeah. Otanism, as if we ought to cut it short with the stream right now. It's been too long, but this is a very interesting conversation. Once Otanism. again, yeah, once again, Jay Dyer versus James Valiant. Christianity, a Roman creation. We will find out this Thursday. Here we go. All right, this is the end of the stream. Thank you guys so much for watching. I appreciate yep. all of you here. Have a good day. Mwah! Good night, God everybody, bless. and goodbye. Goodbye.